What is happening, everybody? Happy Thanksgiving. Our first our first holiday podcast, Yuli. Happy Thanksgiving, oh. brother. I'm feeling festive, man. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I know you got the festive uh, festive shirt on. I just actually got off the disc golf course, so I'm not very festive right now. But what is festive is the show tonight, folks. We have a big one for you. We have the PDGA going Champions Cup rescheduled. Psych. Champions Cup rescheduled. Psych. Champions Cup rescheduled. We're going to break that all down. We have an interview with Vino, who's going to kind of let us know what's going on with Europe pro players, how they're feeling. Uh, they're being treated. Then we have the goat of bowling, Jason Belmonte. He will, me and Yuli sat down. There's a pre recorded interview with him um, because he's traveling so much. We sat down with him, had an incredible, incredible conversation with him. That will be at, played at the end. So stick around for that at the very, very end. Then we have a wild story of the week to talk about. And then always we will be finishing it off with our listener questions. Before we go into anything, Yuli, back from the honeymoon, man. How'd it go? Oh, it was awesome, man. We had a great time. Wedding was fantastic. Uh, one day we got to recover, you know, from the festivities of the wedding, and then and then we were off to uh, the Dominican Republic, and we were there for nine days. Um, it was fantastic, man. We had a blast. A lot of uh, a lot of adult beverages. A lot of hanging by the beach, hanging by the pool. Good food. Um, last couple of days weren't as, weren't as cool. I caught a little food poisoning, but that was about it. I mean, everything went super smooth besides that, and we had a great time. It is nice to be back home. You know, I had about two months there where uh, we were just slammed from the USDGC Pro Tour Championships wedding honeymoon. Now I'm kind of back home getting the swing of things. So uh, thank you to... Um, Simon and Calvin for filling in for me, man. Meant a lot. Uh, and they did fantastic. I watched every single episode and um, stayed as, as involved as I, as I could. But thank you to those guys. Yeah, I know everyone is excited to get you back on the show. Um, what was your favorite thing that, like, favorite excursion? Maybe it was a favorite meal, favorite experience from the honeymoon? You know what? What was surprising was how soft, honestly, how soft the sand was. I hate sand. <laughs> like when I go to the beach, you know, I, I like I can't stand it. it. Gets everywhere, and I'm not a beach guy. And um, every day I look forward to just going on onto the beach because the, the sand was so soft and it was just beautiful, clearest water you'll ever see in your life. I mean, beautiful, um, sunny days every single day. But the best part about it was just hanging out with Sarah and you know getting some relaxing time for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the honeymoon is like a vacation on steroids probably. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. obviously the food poisoning, probably not the greatest experience in the world, but outside of that, um, outside of that, like you can't really go wrong on a honeymoon. So that was awesome. And oh. also the weather that I've seen like TikToks, Instagram stories of where people are going to like these tropical locations and like a hurricane or something like terrible weather gets yeah. and they, they can never leave the room that lucking out on that. I think that's really the only way that can kind of damper a honeymoon, but yeah. uh, happy for you and Sarah, but I'm sure everyone listening to, we're all happy for you to be back uh, on the show. And we got a lot to discuss, but before we have black Friday coming up this Friday. Uh, so Silas, go ahead and play that video when it's ready. 
I don't think it's up. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll play that in a second. Um, but you can hear the music. The music's sick. Um, <laughs> the the music's very nice. But uh, we'll we'll get that. Silas, just let me know whenever that's ready to go. I don't think we had video there for our uh, our viewers. Um, I can. Oh, here we go. All right, there it is. Um, shout out to Silas also for doing the rap for us there. Um, he did it at a pretty cheap budget. Um, so if you if you aren't following Silas on Spotify yet, he he does some rap in his spare time as well as producing the show. So shout out to him. Um, uh, but yeah, Black Friday going down on Foundation, but also big, huge stuff going down on Discraft as well i think they're dropping it's always a passion color shift disc um i think we have like get freaky hats up there yuli what do you have going on black friday you guys got any you whipped up to anything um you know we're, we're working on getting those jerseys and hopefully they come in in time if not man i i got so much stuff on the discraft website which is awesome i got really lucky from when i switched over from the ledgestone website we had a lot of products on there so I always have something on there and, and it really, it really goes a long ways for the support that I get from people buying hats or shirts or discs or, or whatever. Not only me, but the whole team. If you guys want to get some good deals, definitely go check that out. The whole team's going to have some really good goodies on there. Make sure you go check, yeah. check out the website. I did have a meeting this morning with all business, Brad about tour life merch so we are going to i know we have already ordered one or two pieces of um accessories i guess you could i could i can say uh but we're going to be working on maybe some hats maybe a jersey maybe some other stuff as well so stay tuned for some tour life merch uh last thing i want to say about the mystery boxes that are dropping on foundation if you weren't able to make it to usddc get yourself a Yuli horse or whatever we're calling those buzzes. Uh, we have a couple, we had a couple of those left over that we kind of kept to be able to throw into some mystery boxes. So uh, a good chance to, to get one of those. And last year, our mystery boxes went by so fast. So if you're interested, make sure to uh, check out uh, foundation this Friday for hey, the I've been Black throwing those. Um, I've been They're throwing nice. those buzzes. They're stable. They're sweet. They are, they yeah, are nice. Like, I, I was surprised. I threw them thinking, okay, this is, it felt a little slippy in the hand, and then the, it, it was not. I'm, I yeah, think I'm bagging it for next year. Yeah, if you're looking to you know minimize, minimize the molds in your bag, right, and you don't want to have to bag a, a drone or a Buzz OS, that Buzz is like a perfect slot uh, for that overstable midrange. So. All right, so let's jump into it. Unfortunately for the PDGA, I've had my back and forth with the PGA, but unfortunately for them, they, they're just throwing me softballs this week. There are so many softballs that they're just throwing, and I'm, just, I'm that like ex-major league baseball player 
coming back to my hometown, playing in the local softball league, and I'm just hitting bombs over the fence right now with what the PGA is doing. They initially posted an article that has since been taken down. And now actually a few hours before this podcast, a new article, a new announcement has come out. And so we'll get to that in a second. But the first article that came out was the announcement that the 2024 PDGA champions cup was being moved to June 27th to 30th at the Northwick park in Morton, Illinois, due to a delay in the tree clearing at the IDGC. So going back and looking at previous articles that the PGA had, had posted about champions cup. If you aren't, if you're, you know, living under a rock, the invasive pine beetle infestation is what's causing them to have to move champions cup. They initially moved it to like the end, end of season weeks after the season was already going to be done. That's when it was going to be held. And now they have pushed it or at this time they had pushed it to June 27th through the 30th. Uh, the project to cut down the trees and basically build out a whole new course that has now been pushed back. It was supposed to be scheduled for early October. So a month and a half ago, and it was supposed to be completed sometime in November, like early November. And apparently they have just started, uh, they had just started doing tree clean cleaning. Like right now is what I think someone had said that they just started it. Um, so there's this whole like yeah Brody, i one of my biggest pet peeves is when a tournament big tournament drops a new course and it's like one years old and there's no like traffic that goes through there like i'm kind of happy that they're not gonna have a, a fast turnaround because it i don't remember the last time we played a course where it was brand new like Literally, I can't remember. And it was worn in and good enough for the tour. Yeah, like I mean, whenever worlds, they do that, worlds. there's always limbs, there's stumps, there's exactly that. It's just, it's just, it's not vetted properly. There hasn't been tournaments played on it. Like, that is a very, very slippery slope to go down in the first place. So maybe, maybe it's like, uh, for the best. Yeah, I think when you're we're talking about wooded courses, it's it's definitely more difficult to create a wooded course that hasn't been played on that much and just have a tournament out there. We're going to see it at Worlds at Ivy Hills, right? Ivy Hills is a brand new course. Now, Nate Heinold and his team are putting in the work to have events leading up to it. They've already held two events prior to that. One of those, I was, I was able to go out there and play. They're getting players feedback, but on an open course, it's so much easier to tweak the OB, tweak the basket locations. It's really hard to make. It's, it's really hard. If you make a bad wooded hole for someone to show up and be like, this hole sucks. And then be like, okay, well let me just plant a tree or, it's a lot harder in the woods than it is in the open. So you might be right. It might be a blessing in disguise. Um, now, Nate Heinold is going to remain TD for Champions Cup. He was going to be the TD at Champions Cup. He's going to stay. Uh, and right now, they are planning on Champions Cup coming back to Wildwood Park in 2025 is what they're looking at. Now, when the announcement came out, when this announcement 
this is the first announcement that they made. When this came out, a lot of negative feedback from players. Uh, first one I saw was from Vino, who, for those that don't know, is potentially the biggest, I would say behind Seppo, he might be the most popular European player uh, on the MPO side. Obviously, I think Kristen Tatar might top the list as far as popularity goes. Uh, but Vino has a big voice on the on the European side, and he he posted on his story saying, this is sad. Middle of the Disc Golf Pro Tour Europe stretch, like finally there will be a nice mini tour when we would have almost all the best players in Europe. This makes things complicated. Then you have, uh, he follows that up saying, my opinion, PDGA doesn't care about the Europe swing. How about this? PDJ wants, wants to grow the sport as big as possible worldwide. How good uh, would that be to have all the players in Euro tour and making disc golf more interesting and maybe even more popular in Europe? Uh, this was followed by Nicolas Antilla coming out and saying, I feel stupid. I even have to make a decision like this about should I skip the major and play the European swing or do I need to go and play champions cup? Then you also had, um, I don't know if this is a pro or whatnot, but Timu on, on Twitter responded to one of my tweets saying, imagine being European and having to choose over Swedish Open and Nationals over major just because of the PDGA. Uh, then we had some American players reach out. We had Eagle reach out and say, this is not good. A lot of players were looking forward to the European tour, reschedule the reschedule. And then, um, okay, before we go into anything else, a lot of people just coming out. And I think the main reason for this, Yuli, is for two reasons. One, the presence of Paul McBeth going over there, I think brought a lot more eyeballs to not just spectators, but also pros on tour. I think they were tuning into those tournaments and seeing the type of courses over there. And we're like, wait, these courses are sick. The crowds are sick. I want to be involved. Uh, I mentioned this last week. We had people going out there for the PCS Open. And people were really enjoying uh, those tournaments as well. And so I think a lot of pros were very interested in extending their European swing, where in the past, you guys were just going over there for European Open and coming back. Agree or disagree with, with what I just said there? Totally agree. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, even for myself, watching the tournaments that Macbeth was playing in last Last year, it was nice to wake up and get some disc golf coverage in and check out the, the European talent. And I thought, I still haven't made my full schedule yet, but I was planning on, on playing a couple of those, I feel like. And that definitely puts a damper on a lot of things. I mean, putting, putting that tournament right there just doesn't make any sense, man. It really yeah. doesn't. It's a sad. It's a kind of a sad thing. But at the same time, I don't know the ins and outs, so I don't know how tight they are um, as far as scheduling. I mean, the whole tour is a tight schedule when you really look at it. It's tight all the way around. So then we also had. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with this person. This is Mikola Svensson. Svensson. Uh, they responded on a Facebook comment saying, please remind me what the P in the PDGA stands for. In this case, pathetic. This is so unprofessional as it gets. So many people have worked so hard for so long time to make a schedule for the biggest comp competitions 2024 and the PDGA now goes 
just kidding. We are changing this. Don't think about Europe, USA, and the world anyway. Uh, Paul Macbeth responded saying, you know where I'll be with a Swedish flag. Uh, uh, basically implying that he's going to be skipping Champions Cup and going to the Sweden Open. Then you have Dan Crash Canada say, I think the tournament needed to be changed and this was the earliest the announcement could be made. So hard to fault the PDGA for the timing of the announcement. I hear and agree that new dates are not ideal and hopefully could change, but we'll see. Now, a little bit more, you know, pulling the, the curtain behind a little bit as, uh, as well. The, the people that were doing the Disc Golf Pro Tour Europe, I don't think they, like the people that are running the tournaments, I don't think they were even let, like given a thought of, hey, this is what's happening. I, I, I Someone reached out and said that the person that's TDing this, the Sweden Open had no idea that this announcement was being made. And so, I mean, I'm sure that was a shock to just see this all of a sudden and be like, wait, I thought a bunch of people were going to come over and play this tournament. Like the major committee, I'm pretty sure has a big has a big part in saying all that stuff. Not necessarily even the PDGA. There's a committee that is in charge of all the majors. I'm pretty sure, especially the World Championships. I know for a fact. But um, so when it comes to those majors, it's I don't think the DGPT has any say over it either. No, no, no. I, I was like saying they, that they make their the- schedules. Yeah, I was just saying that for the people at home. Oh, yeah. Think, when you think about the oh, tour, sure. you think about the broad They're thing. Separate. about Okay, if it's an elite series, then that includes majors, but it's not. The majors are a completely no. different part than the elite series. No, I mean, if champions, if the PDGA wanted to, they could literally say, hey, we're going to have Champions Cup the same weekend as USDDC, right? If they yeah. really wanted to. Those, those two organizations that run Champions Cup and USDGC are separate. So they could do that. So yes, um, I was, my point was more the communication on all these different organizations just seems like it's lacking. It seems like it's not even there or people are just blatantly not even caring about what others are um, involved because again, let not letting someone know ahead of time, like, Hey, we're thinking about doing this and this, them finding out is, is crazy to me. I do want to go now to the Vino interview. I was able to sit down with Vino for a few minutes and talk with him about his thoughts. And then we'll go kind of into the most recent post that the champions, uh, about the champions cup. So go ahead, size, whenever you're ready, play the, uh, the interview with Vino. I know Vino. Thanks so much for joining us here on tour life. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, how's it going over there so far? It's, it's going pretty good. Uh, I have, uh, started my off season training and, things are going pretty pretty solid and i'm enjoying i'm enjoying the off season pretty much nice very well yeah it's starting to get a little chilly here in vegas on our side um but the off season is in full swing so i wanted to get you come on here because champions cup the pdga just announced that they are going to be rescheduling to a earlier date in the season and just to kind of preface everything i do want to say there is sometimes a little bit of a bias. I feel like being in the United States, we focus a lot on what we're doing over here and we focus a lot on the players over here. And I think sometimes we forget how popular disc golf is in Europe and how popular some of the top players in Europe are. 
Is this something that the PDGA kind of had a miss a misstep? Did they just not plan accordingly? And explain to me why, um, if that is the case, what is going on as far as European players go with the change in the scheduling of Champions Cup? Yeah, so I'm not even sure what the PDGA uh, think about uh, with the new dates and and that stuff. And yeah, that might be the case that PDGA are thinking that USA is like more important because, of course, you have more players, you have like more courses, you have like uh, everything is bigger in states. But I I was pretty I was pretty confused that because I thought uh, PDGA's they they're like their future is gonna be okay. We want to expand the disc golf every single part in the in the world, and I feel like that's gonna be like uh, of course of course boosting Europe European disc golf community that we're gonna have like uh, multiple events and all the top players are gonna play the European tour. So I think that's that's gonna boost the European disc golf community and seen uh, like that pretty big way so that was kind of weird when they announced that and people and also not only the european players but also u.s players were pretty pretty uh, mad about the the new the new decision yeah i think having paul go over there and play in a bunch of european events this past season and then a bunch of us going over and playing uh, PCS Open the week before the European Open. I think a lot of players got a little bit of taste of what European disc golf is like, and we're really looking forward to playing more events next year. And with the announcement of Disc Golf Pro Tour Europe and all the new events that are going to be uh, points-based now for the Tour Championship, it really made it look like they were putting an effort into wanting to have more players go over into Europe. And so if I'm looking at the schedule right now, Champions Cup sits really good if you weren't planning on going over to Europe at all. It sits right in between the Preserve and Des Moines uh, Challenge, which now if you're traveling in that area, you're going from Minnesota to Illinois and then Illinois to Iowa. So it works really well for the um, American players that weren't planning on going over to Europe. But if you're planning on having a European tour, you were probably planning on playing the Turku Open, which is in Finland. That's two weeks before the Swedish Open, which is the same date as the Champions Cup. So can you give us a little insight now if the Champions Cup is set in stone, what, what are your plans moving forward? And that's gonna be the tough question because I don't even know what what I need need to do because that's they are putting me in the difficult place that 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 I need to even like choose that okay if I'm gonna play the major or if I'm gonna play the finally the Europe European like a uh, Euro tour that DGPT is hosting so I'm I'm feeling pretty dumb like why I need to make that decision like uh, between major and multiple DGPT events in Europe. So I don't even know that what I'm going to do. And I'm also pretty surprised that why they didn't put the major like a start, a start of the season, like uh, where, where the this year's Champions Cups were, like uh, nearby, like April, April, May, where, where when, when was it? So I was pretty surprised that they, they wanted to put it like uh, 
like June, and because there there are multiple dates that are better than the June, like like between Music City Open and DDO, there's like off week. Like we why we are mm. not playing in that week because it's it's making the, it's, all, it's also are making the finances sense for the, like, you guys. Uh, yeah, it's making it's making sense because like uh, from from Music City Open. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, from Music City Open to DDO, the the Illinois where the champions was gonna be. It's like um, like uh, how you say it, like uh, midway to the DDO from Music City Open. Like 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 that making sense. When you guys are like planning your schedules a, a, ahead of time, does it financially make sense? Like, is are you guys set in a way to where you could fly over for a week and play a tournament and then fly back, or does that just make no financial sense for you guys right now with where disc golf is? Uh, I think it's. I think that's not the case. That uh, I think I'm like. I'm speaking uh, like from from my perspective that I'm my my financial like side is good that if if I want to fly there like one one for one week and come back then yeah I'm all good but I don't think it's that making sense that only flying to state for playing the one tournament because you know the time difference and everything I'm not feeling like that I'm going to be like a 110% ready for the one tournament because I'm fl- flying like like six or seven days before the tournament and only playing the one tournament so i'm not getting the like uh, the good feeling up uh, of it that i'm gonna play the one only the one tournament i want to like play multiple tournaments and getting the like the feeling of it yeah it makes a lot of sense all right last question i've got for you before we let you go here what is the ideal schedule uh moving forward for european players do you want to have a situation where there is a section of the year where events aren't really happening in the States and the top US players are going over and playing events in Europe? Yeah. So I think the ideal, well, I, I, I felt like the ideal where the schedule, what the DTP announced for the next year without the Champions Cups. I felt like that's going to be the ideal, like first part of the season in the States, like starting to play in the in the Europe like like in in June to August and then uh, like end, ending the season in states. So I think that's pretty ideal like uh, schedule for the for the Europeans. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, I mean they've changed the date once. There has been a lot of backlash uh, from not only European players but also from American players as well. I think the media will kind of make this a little bit bigger of a bigger story as well. So the idea that it is set in stone when it is, I don't believe so. So there is a chance maybe that we see it change to a date that is better for all players on tour. Um, but until then, we I guess we don't know. So we'll just sit back and wait. Uh, but Vino, I appreciate you taking the time today coming on, brother. Uh, thank you so much and uh, can't wait to see you back on tour next year. Yes, thank you and see you, see you next year. All right, there is Vino. Um, some interesting, interesting thoughts from him. You know, you could totally see that he wants Europe to be more involved in the disc golf pro tour scene. I will say this, Yuli. If it was the world championships we were talking about, I don't think it would be a hard decision for a lot of these guys. <laughs> no.
they might still be mad, but it wouldn't even they they would they, yeah it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same thing. They would be like, all right, well, I'm, I guess I'm going over and playing the world championship. All right, so I'm on the course today. I'm practicing. I'm thinking about, okay, we're going to talk about Champions Cup. We're going to try to like start trying to figure out where what should happen. Should they move it because there's so much outcry? Shouldn't? And we get a post on the PDGA's Instagram that says, update to the update. The 2024 PDGA Champions Cup has a new date. I go to the link. The link is update to the update, new 2024 PDGA Champions Cup dates. And then below that, it's got in text saying for real this time. So they end up moving it again. This is now the third time they have moved it. It is now going to be smack dab, which I think honestly... All things considered, I think it's the right move. It's going to be April 25th through the 28th, uh, 2024 in Morton, Illinois. It's going to be at Northwood Park. There will be four rounds being played um, at Northwood Black. And this is now right kind of around the DDO time. So I think it makes sense for us in the States to play it. There's no European events going on. But my question to you, Yuli, what, how does this make the PDGA look? Because to me, it makes them look weak. It makes them look discombobulated. It makes them look that if enough pros just come out and say something, they're willing to change everything. I, I think this is a bad overall look. Even though we got to where probably we should have gotten in the first place, I think getting there, ha- this, is, this has been a bad a bad overall bad situation for the PDGA. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it in that way, or you can look at like, uh, I mean, for example, if, for, if you're like a business owner, right, you have to be able to take criticism and learn from your mistakes and do what's best for your company. I think they ended up doing that. I think they um, ended up making their correct decision, moving the date again. And I don't know, an organization that's able to look and listen to their members and make a decision based on those things seems like a, 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 a pretty good look to me, honestly. And I feel like that's probably where I would take that stance right yeah, now. Because I would hate it if they were like, oh, nope, we're just doing this. We're not thinking about them. And taking a step back and being like, ah, oh, we made a mistake. We're going to make it better. I don't know. I kind of like that. I do. If it was the first time, if it was, you know, if I, if I show up to work, like you made the example of like, if, if a business is listening, if it was the first time that something happened, right? If I shopped, I'm trying to figure out like a good example off the top of my head. And I'm just thinking like, if I shopped somewhere and I had a really bad experience buying something off of a store and they responded to an email saying, hey, we see what ended up happening. We apologize. We're going to get this right. We'll fix it. We'll make it better. There's a chance that I might go back and shop with them again. But if it's a reoccurring theme of every single time I'm shopping or you know, every other time I'm shopping, something happens, I'm probably moving forward. We don't have that luxury. We are locked in with the PDGA. 
we have no if you want to play on the pro tour you have to be a pdga member there's no other way of going about it to me this is this is a bad look that they are willing to just throw stuff out there and make an announcement and say this is what's happening and then be so quick to changing it to where it should never have happened in the first place. They should have been able to reach out to all the pros that are playing. You think they got it right? What's that? Sorry, what'd you say? I said, do you think they got it right? At the end of the day, is this the right move? Yes, the third time they got it right is how I would, I would answer that. The first time was wrong. The second time was wrong. The first time was correct. I'm just saying, should be we should should us as professionals be worried with the PDGA being kind of the center point of the sport of disc golf, or do you, are you not worried at all? I lo- I lost you. I I can't hear you, Brody. I'm sorry. Oh, is your. Maybe maybe try Yuli uh, size. Maybe try Yuli just audio and see if that works. If he's having some connection problems, but can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. I was saying, I was saying the PDGA is involved with two of our majors. They also have. Um, they're also involved with all the rules that the Disc Golf Pro Tour plays by. They also we have to be a member to get in to be able to play in events uh the ratings they have they have their foot in a lot of different uh areas in disc golf and my question is like the moves that we seem to make should we be worried at all as far as like trying to get disc golf to grow trying to get bigger companies to look at disc golf as a serious uh advertising as a serious sport should we be worried at all that the PDGA is kind of leading that front for us. Yes, of course. I mean, making these mistakes isn't good. It's not a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. But there's two ways to look at it. Like I said, they do the second one, and then they just screw over all the European players and the whole tour, and they leave it right there. That, to me, would have been worse. That, to me, would have been worse. I think, personally, by changing I it agree. again, I think they got it right. And so, hey, man, let's move on to next week and see see what happens. They throw yeah. a lot of stuff at us, man. And, and no, no, do I the, think that, that it's like running smoothly and should we be worried? Absolutely. I mean, the sport's in a pretty – the sport's honestly having growing pains, of course. From week to week, we see things happening to where, I mean, even on the show, we look at each other and we're like, like, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, what, what is this? Uh, but, like I said, I, I'm more about looking at the positive side of it because of, like, they could have just completely done the wrong thing, and they didn't do that. So let's take a baby win and move on, and then we'll see what they no, do next week. You're right. But, no, you're right. And I, and I give them credit for finally getting to that point of where – this makes sense. Yeah. However, my, my big concern is this was a no brainer to start with. Like the, the move that they did doesn't piss anyone off. None of the American players are pissed off. 
None of the uh, European players are pissed off. None of the fans are pissed off. Everyone is happy with this move. My concern moving forward is they have now shown precedent that if enough people, and maybe it's the uh, maybe it's not even enough people, if the right people complain, if the right people come out and say they don't like something, they have shown precedent that they are willing to change. And so my question is, what happens when they make an announcement that 50 people don't like and 50 or 50 percent of the people don't like and 50 percent of the people do like and those 50 percent of the people come out and the, and you have the right voices in that 50 percent saying this is bad i don't like this now are they just going to change it that's where i'm concerned i just feel like this was a, a, a real unique a unique situation and i think if i were to give my opinion of what i think happened which is all probably 80% not true is there was probably like one person who just made a bad mistake and pushed it through. You know what I mean? Who's like, Oh yeah, that sounds good. And he's talking to these people and they're like, okay, yeah, do it. And then it was just a bad mistake. One guy. And then it was an easy fix. You know what I mean? Once they looked at it thoroughly and they're like, Oh, well, we made a mistake. Let's fix it. And then they did that. That's, that's what it looks like to me. It doesn't look like something that you would have like a committee or the head of the PDGA guys coming together and they, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Deal. Let's do it. You know what I'm saying? But, it but shouldn't like that worry you, Yuli? That, that, that not worry you that there's one person? That. Yes. There's one person no, that does. can just have the power to it just be does. like, but I yoink? Like, <laughs> it, it does. But, but what I like about it is they got it right. It would be worse if they didn't. It would be a completely different conversation. No, At for sure. Yeah, willing to learn and to fix their mistakes. Because if they weren't and they just kept it, then I would be like, I don't know what the future's going to hold for us for <laughs> things like this because they obviously don't care. Yeah, but this shows that they care and they got it right, which is awesome. Now, with all this, with all this being said, Ledgestone will now be Another four rounds. No, 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 no. No more announcements. But Ledgestone will now be four rounds at Lake Eureka. So Ledgestone will not be played at Northwood Black. Um, this, I think, is going to be the toughest major in history to win. Four rounds at Northwood. I'm, I'm setting the line at 20 players DNFing. What, what, are you taking the over and the under of, of 20 DNFs at, at, at this four-round event at Northwood? It depends Park. on the weather. <laughs> if it's, like, raining, it might there's be so many but, There's uh, so many people that just tap out. Hopefully we get good weather. Um, that place so is a mentally a grind, man. Yeah, a couple, a couple concerns I have for Northwood would just be the parking. The parking is a major issue there. And now it be now it holding a major. I think a lot more people are going to be showing up if they can or they they want to show up. And the parking and the spectating is like kind of a nightmare there. So I don't know what they're going to be doing, if anything. Do you know? Have you heard any word on updates? I don't think there's any chance that there's going to be as many spectators as uh, as Ledgestone. I don't think there's any possible chance. Do you think that because of the, that, the for sure. because of the AM event? You think less people are going to show up because it's there's no AM event oh, going yeah. on? There's like four. What is it? Like three thousand or four thousand people playing, or two? I don't know what it was. Thousands of people playing in the AM. That's a good tournament. point. 
That's a very good point. We saw we saw the effects of DDO not having the AMs out there and how no one showed 100%. up to that event. So you might be right. It might not be an issue at all. And maybe maybe that's uh something they, they considered. I, I will want I do want to pull one quote out of this article. Well, maybe a couple quotes. So this was this was in the article that the PDGA posted about changing the change. And this is from the PDGA Director of Operations, Doug Bierkis. He says, we failed to properly assess the impact the Champions Cup rescheduling had on the newly announced Disc Golf Pro Tour Europe 2024 schedule events. New practices are being put in place by the Disc Golf Pro Tour and the PDGA to ensure this does not happen again. Um, so, like, are, are they just all figuring out that, like, email works? Is that is that is that the new practices that are being put in place? Is like sending out a memo saying like, "Hey guys, email is really effective form of communication. Let's start using that so we can talk with our partners and make sure we don't make mistakes." I mean that that was a hilarious quote. You're doing snail mail. Yeah, I don't. I mean snail that's, that's out of the out of our. Out of our system, I have this new innovation, the innovating idea of email. Yeah, like, I, I mean, that was, when I read that, I was just like, I, I feel like you say that when, like, weird stuff happens. Of where, like, we had no this idea this was happens. going to happen. Oh, sorry. I, I threw this the pizza right out. <laughs> when, man, I'm not even going to say it. Never mind. No, go ahead. It's Thanksgiving. We're giving thanks. This is the perfect time to give thanks. <laughs> I mean, it just seems to me there's no awareness. There's no tour awareness on a, on a decision like that. There's no tour awareness. There's nobody who's boots on the ground, knows what's going on, has a, has a real pulse on the, on the tour. Yeah, and this you is the company I mean? we're paying. We're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to. I don't know if it's that much, actually. That might be way too high. I just threw that number out. Um, I didn't do the math in my head, but we're paying this company crazy amounts of money to lead us. And I'm like, should they? I don't know, man. There's just so many things that give me pause. And you have all these people saying like, man, disc golf should be so much bigger. Why isn't it bigger? Like what, what's going on? I mean, this is, this is what we're dealing with. I mean, this can't, this can't be helpful. So, all right. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. I can I can talk right. about this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's give thanks for them getting it right. Shout out. All right. The wild story of the week. This might be a new segment here. So to everyone listening, if you have a crazy story that either happened or um, happened in the past, whatever. If you've, if you've got a crazy story, uh, send it in. I'll probably pick one out every week. And if you want to hear more of this content, the off, the off, off season, is that what it's called? Silas, the off season, right? Why is that sounding weird? The off that's, that's that. I almost said the off preview, which was combining the off season and the preview show combined the off seasons, a new podcast that we're doing that is going, that is me, Hunter and Trevor. And the whole show is basically off of listeners sending in crazy stories so if you're if you're interested in listening to that, check that out. That drops actually tomorrow. So that comes out on Thursday. So here we go, uh, Yuli. Here we go. Relating to the last podcast and lost disc etiquette, 
I had a guy send me a selfie with my champion Firebird with the disc covering his face so you could see his face through the plastic and then he never gave it back to me. Make matters worse, it was my first ace disc. I mean, that's some. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's something there. You get a disc, you see his face probably grinning through it. And then he's just like, yeah, this, this is, this is never coming back to you. I'm keeping this bad boy. That is, uh, you know what? My favorite, one of those stories is the one of the guy who, who had your disc and then he chuck in the water or something. No, wait, my st- what was that story? No, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So this guy, yeah. this guy comes up, he's like, Phil, I'll, I'll, I'll retell it. He, he, uh, I'm actually down in Tampa. I'm playing like Ken Climo's course, uh, Cliff, Cliff Stevens, I think it is. Yeah. And, uh, I'm playing one of the holes that's like right in, right on the side of the road. And this guy comes up and, and here's the thing. I understand there are people out there that despise me. So if, if you see me in the wild and you see me kind of being like a little like hesitant, it's because I've had a lot of really weird interactions before. And so I don't really know what I'm about to experience. This was that this was this one takes the cake. This guy comes up, he's filming selfie style, talking. I don't know if he's doing like a live on Instagram or whatever. And he's got a brand new Brody Roach Dark Horse putter. And he comes up to me, he's like, Hey man, huge fan, love you, love you. All can you sign this disc for me? And I'm like, I'm with my buddy at the time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, man. No worries. So I, I sign it, hand it over to him. And then he like looks at the camera. He's like, F this guy, F this guy. And then he just chucks it into the middle of a lake and like walks off, like flipping me off and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I mean, I was like, I don't, I, how do I respond? I don't respond. I don't, I just stand there and I'm like, wow, this guy got me good, I guess. But he went out and bought that. He went out and bought a brand new disc for that bit. That that I mean, that is crazy that he went that far. But I still have never seen the video. video. Yeah, I've never seen it. If anyone's in the Facebook group that I'm sure he posted it to and said like, "Hey, Brody sucks." Like, if anyone's in that group, maybe start searching Facebook groups like Brody Smith sucks disc golf, and maybe it'll pop up. Uh, Hopefully, not weird stuff pops up. But um, yeah, if anyone gets the video, let me know because that would be Firebird, absolutely incredible. Firebird to the face, man. That's a bummer. <laughs> but. Um, all right, you, uh, Yuli, have you have you taken the PDJ rules test? Are, I think we have to do that like I every did. other year or something. It. I just had to do it because I tried to sign up for the tour deal, and uh, you can't unless yep. you're you're current. So I yep. yeah, I did so, it last night. So this might be the most ridiculous question I've ever had on a test ever. And I've had some terrible teachers in the past. This was legitimately one of the questions on the PDGA certified rules official exam. It goes like this. After two holes, a player in your group digs around in their bag and brings out a can and a koozie. They crack it open and start drinking. The drink stains their teeth red and smells like wine. Are you drinking? You ask. Just some expired fruit juice, they laugh. You can't drink during the round, you respond. It's against the rules. The player rolls their eyes and scoffs. We're amateurs in a C-tier. Don't be such a jerk about it. What is the correct course of action? 
Why am I taking this test? What is this, Yuli? What is this? What am I doing? What am I doing? Also, also, I mean, um, okay, here's whoa, another whoa. one. Uh, you okay? You we'll go stop there. Sorry, I have another one too. So go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Did you get a hundred? This is a legitimate question. Did you get a hundred no. on it? No, Yuli. You know why I didn't get a hundred on it? Is because it took me a freaking hour and a half. You know why? Because instead of saying, "Hey, when you walk up, when you come to your disc, half of it's inbounds, half it's out of bounds," what's the correct ruling? They go like this: You're playing in a B tier. It's 75 degrees out. There's wind left to right. You're wearing your favorite pants. You're walking up to hole seven. This hole has haunted you for years and years and years. You don't know what to throw. Backhand, forehand, you're not sure. You pull out your most lucky, lucky buzz. You throw the perfect shot. It hits a tree. It kicks 50 feet right. It rolls up close to the close to the OB. You're so scared. Did it go OB? You don't know. Your group walks up. They find the disc. Half of the disc is in bounds. Half of it's out of bounds. What's the ruling? What are we doing? Why am I reading short stories? That was the whole test, Yuli. I'm reading a full short story I, to get to the question. What is going on? You didn't get 100%. No, I didn't. I, I, I was sweating bullets. I, I, I was sweating bullets when I was about to s click submit. Because I was like, bro, if I don't get enough right and I have to retake this test, I might literally tweet out my retirement. I literally, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done playing professional disc golf. PDGA, you got me. This, this was your plan all along. You got me. Straight up, like I did it, and it, you know, you're, you should, and I, I suggest this to other players. You should have the PDGA rulebook open in a different tab, take the test, look at the rule. I This is bad. I've always done it like this. I do it one time, and I just rip. I'm a, I just kind of skim through it and like do like logical answers and hope that I, hope that I get enough to just pass it. Um, and this time I was like, I have no idea if I'm going to pass this or not. This one took forever. Like you said, it took forever to read. I I I and was they dumbfounded. Like, they had like four of the same answers with like just a little different. Just a I little was bit I was, was like I was absolutely dumbfounded. Um, oh, and for the and for the people out there who are like, oh, Paul, you should study and blah blah blah. I missed one question. One. Shout out to you. I missed the. Here's the thing. I think a lot of times I take that test and I'm like, this is what the rule should be. And I'm literally just answering it to try Dang. to hopefully put it through them. Dang. Like your disc lands under a picnic table. What should you do? And I'm like, move the picnic table so you can throw your shot. So we're not having to stand on top of picnic tables or like throw <laughs> from underneath a picnic table Lay and make it look like a circus act. Yeah. And they're like, no, that's wrong. You can't do it. I'm like, okay. Or we should um, be playing on courses that don't have picnic tables that aren't parks, that are disc golf courses. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll read one more question because uh, just one more real Indeed. quick. You're playing a C tier. 
As you and two other group members wait at your starting hole for the two-minute signal, your fourth group member arrives. They are wearing they are, they are not wearing a shirt or shoes. It's hot out, they say when they say when they see the rest of you looking at them. The rule sheet does not mention a dress code. Can they play shirtless and or shoeless? I remind you, Yuli, we are playing on the disc golf pro tour. Why is this a question? I'll leave it at that. Okay. I want to. I kind of want to play with that guy. <laughs> Sounds like a cool guy, dude. Clean the out. out here, man. Like that. <laughs> what, what, what do you expect me to do? Sweat my balls off? Come on, man. Oh, yeah. All right. Um. Okay. Uh. Should Should I finish it with the last PDGAL? I guess I should. Just Just to keep it going. This is the final one, and this I actually this is an interesting one for you. So this is from Jim Oates, who again I don't the history of disc golf is not somewhere that's like super easily found, and this kind of goes into that that name I have heard about from from others. Uh, I believe they are already in the disc golf Hall of Fame, and so they respond on Facebook saying mm-hmm. perhaps the PDGA should give all Hall of Fame members a lifetime membership so the history can always be preserved and viewed. At this point, there are only 103 members. Seems like a small but important investment. The fact that I cannot go on and see results, like go on and see like what Nate Doss, a three-time world champion, has done in the past, is crazy to me. He has to, he has to be a PDGA member for me to like see that. Is that no, is that I, not I, crazy? No, it, it is. I uh once you pay for your year, you paid for the year. Give me my stats on that. Those are stats for life. I shouldn't yes. have to I should have to renew to play a tournament. Yes. I don't yep. I shouldn't have to renew so you can see what I've done for for the organization. You know what I mean? Me playing in a tournament, I paid my dues for if I'm playing a C tier, a X tier, a major, whatever it is. I'm paying my dues for that tournament. I'm paying not only my my PDGA um, uh, membership dues at the beginning of the year. I'm paying which some C tiers before I believe this year you didn't have to do that, but there was a fee, right? Mm-hmm. You had to pay a fee and you didn't get a rating and blah blah blah. blah. But that wasn't me. I always paid. And they take money from your entry fee to the PDGA after you are already become a member, which means you paid for that service to get a rating. And then if you don't renew the next year, it's all gone. My biggest thing with this, which really made me angry, and they finally changed this after a bunch of us complained. I believe they changed it. I haven't checked in a while, but one of my friends from when I was really young, his name was Ian Hoovy, great disc golfer, amateur, really great amateur player. He ended up passing away, and I wanted to go look at his statistics, and his statistics aren't on there because he's not a member, and he didn't renew. And I think that's the biggest travesty, to have somebody who passes away, and for me to try to pick up memories of tournaments that we played together or something, or see... You know, when I'm talking stories like this, I, I could be like, no, this guy got to this rating and he won this many tournaments. I have no idea because I wasn't able to look up those statistics of my friend. I believe they've changed it. I haven't looked in a while. I should. But that was one of the things uh, that, I w- that I 
submitted to the PDGA, like this has to change. Like once somebody's gone, their statistics should be on there for life. Yeah, we should be able to go back and see like what what Nate Doss shot at certain tournaments and and have those have yeah. those memories be relived and stuff. So I think I think that's a big miss there on the PDGA. Player movement and rumors. We have two FPO players making announcements on their Instagrams this week. The first one being Allie Smith. She was the 2021 AM World Champion. And also, she won the silver event out at the Kansas City Wide Open. She is leaving DGA. And at the end, she says, stay tuned for what's next with the eyes emoji. So this seems like a situation that someone came to her, saw, you know, she has a tour event. You know, yes, it is silver, but it is still considered a tour event. Someone came to her and said, hey, we would love for you to throw our products next year and whether she went to DGA to say, Hey, if you, can you guys match this offer or not? But it seems like she, she has an idea of where she's going already. It's not just one of those like, Hey, I'm, I'm piecing out. I'm going to try to figure it out. Any thoughts on where she might end up? No clue. No clue. Okay. Then we have lucky Lawrenson. She also announced on her Instagram that she is leaving prodigy. She, uh, her big finish this season was actually at Worlds. I think she had a very good finish there. I don't remember if it was a top 10, but it might have been, it might have been a top seventh 10, place. actually. I think I remember. Seventh, seventh place. Um, she ends her Instagram very similar, saying, now it's time to move on and make my dreams come true. Winky face. So apparently the play I is... Yeah, apparently the play is to kind of have some, you know interpretation there at the end and then drop off a little uh, a little emoji what yuli you're never going to do this obviously you've already made that clear but if you were ever going to leave discraft what emoji would you would you finish off your your uh hey sayonara folks deuces Deuces. (laughs) i'm out of here baby (laughs) It's been real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. I feel like that, just, that would be a pretty disrespectful one. It's just like, peace out. Um, yes. I don't especially know, Especially if that man. was the only thing that you said. Oh, man. That's funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we'll see. Again, we're waiting for some big, big announcements. There are still a lot of players out there that we're expecting to hear from. And hopefully we will be having them on the show when that happens, or maybe even they'll come on the show to actually break the news of what's happening. That would be kind of cool. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Size, do you have this next video set up? Because this is hilarious because we talked a lot about. Okay. I'll let you know when to play it here. Yuli, last, last week or two weeks ago, I think it was with Calvin. It might have been even like the last two podcasts. We've been talking a lot about baskets and how putting needs to change. King Climo came out and said it. And I saw someone post this. I can't remember where they posted it, but they said, this oddly reminds me of what golf would look like if touch was, was taken out. So just to kind of uh, set up the video, when COVID hit, golf wanted people to still play. It was an outdoor sport. 
And so what they did is instead of having a bunch of people sticking their hands in cups to pull their balls out, um, that was very awkward sentence, but don't know how else to say that they just put styrofoam in the cups. And so if you hit the styrofoam that was above the hole that was blocking the cup, everyone just counted that. So go ahead, play the video here, Silas. Starting to get that feeling history could be made today. Three in a row, three parties in a row. Below the hole, above the hole, it doesn't matter. Four in a row. The dude, for our listeners, <laughs> the dude is just slamming the ball into the styrofoam, <laughs> taking the break, taking the break of the green completely out of it and just slamming the ball into it. So I thought that was kind of funny. He literally just showed how easy putting in golf would be if touch was removed, right? The, 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 the target is the same size as what the, the hole of um, in golf is. However, now it doesn't need to stay in the cup or the hole. You just have to hit it. And so he just showed how easy it is to just blast a ball through the break and hit it. And I don't know, Yuli, that kind of like just resonated with me of like, that is kind of like disc golf a little bit of where you can just blast. Like there is no speed. You can just blast putts into the chains and it, it stays. I mean, we've had this discussion before. And then everybody gets mad about spit outs. And that's what I say. Putt with a little touch, man. You know what I mean? Putt with touch. My biggest one is, is everybody talks about Deuce's putts when he, when he hits them off. Dude, the guy's coming straight up into the chains and it bounces out and everybody wants it to stay. It's like, yeah, super hard. I'm sorry, too. that's not how physics works. That's not how it works, man. That's Ask another sport. What's another sport that would be crazy if they like remove touch like basketball shooting again, like in, instead of there being like a hoop that you need to get the basketball in, it was just like a target that you just, it's you could just, just chuck it at it and just, it just <laughs> yeah. and if it hits any part of the square, <laughs> it hits any part of the square. It counts. We were just launching basketballs into it. Um, I'm trying to think any other sport that comes to mind that is like that. Basketball is a good one. I, mean, I guess you could do like tennis and just remove the net. There's just no net. You slam the ball as hard as you want. Pool. Oh, yeah. There's no holes in pool. They're just like as long as it just hits any part. Yeah. How many times have you like hit the little side and it like doesn't go in? Now that just counts. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um question i've had i've seen some comments yuli about my walls being bare nothing are on my nothing's on my walls now i have a reason for that this is a temporary living area so i'm not going to put stuff on the walls just to remove but i've i've noted i thought about this i've never been a wall guy going back to college in my dorm rooms i wasn't like i gotta put posters up i gotta put my medals and trophies up I've never been a wall guy. I've never put stuff on walls. Am I, am I, am I a psychopath that I can just live in a household with nothing on my walls? Yeah. Is that weird? Yeah, am I in the minority yeah. here? I think so. 
Did you put stuff up on your walls like growing up as a kid and stuff? Of course. I remember when I was a kid, man, I made my whole room camo. Like I had the the you know, like the <laughs> camo that they put that they put like over like a bunker or something. I put that on my roof. So the roof wasn't even bare, man. I had the camo, I had camo stuff everywhere. I I got into paintballing and so I had like all that stuff going on. Wow. I always had stuff on the walls. Football, like Michael Jordan's always been on my wall, bro. I did have the star. I did the star one time, like with all like the little stars. So when you turn it out, the lights, it looks like the, I did that one time. That was, that was cool. But, but it also like kind of sucked to try to go to sleep. What sucked to kind of go to sleep because it kind of like, it was cool, but like, I was kind of like, Hey, I kind of want to go to sleep and my room's not dark because I've got all these glowing stars above me. (laughs) But, uh, Maybe maybe I'll put something up on my wall uh, when we get back into Dallas. Maybe maybe when I set up like my tour area, like my uh, my podcast area, maybe I'll put some wow. some stuff on the wall. Like my um, game room at my house, it was driving me nuts because like I had my like my little bar area, my TV, pool table, couch, and then it was like barren walls. So I had to buy, like, you know, I went and I bought all the, like, the beer signs and to make it look like kind of like a like a game room, you know, a couple lights, a couple uh, uh, South Carolina license plate that go across. Like, I don't like bare walls, man. You are a psychopath. License plate. Like, like yeah, I, I think I might be. Now, I do respect some, like, the bottle cap walls. I think that's sick. Like, the people that put up individual cool. bottle caps yeah. to, to, to make their walls, I think that is very, very cool. Um, but maybe maybe I'll do something. I've got some cool stuff that I could put up um, on the walls. So I think we could put. I could. I think I have some some stuff that's already framed that could go up there too. I think Kelsey even has some stuff from her like from her like cowboy stuff. That, that Don't would be you have cool. like a million million? Yeah, million I've got. Stuff I've got the or something. Yeah, I've got the million gold plaque. I think I have like three silver ones too. So we could. Hey. That will be that will be the day, Yuli, when we get the silver plaque for this channel. So if you're listening and you're not oh. subscribed to our YouTube, head on over Foundation Podcast, subscribe. Hundred thousand. That would what be do you dope. Get, how do you get the silver? Oh, it's a hundred thousand. Hundred, hundred thousand. You get a silver one. Yeah, they they send one out for free, and then uh, if other people want to buy one, you can buy uh, duplicates as well. Oh, really? Dang, that'd be sick. I thought it was a million. Yeah, so, you had to get them. No, the that's black. the gold one. No, that's the gold one. Um, and it, and it's actually not even that cool anymore. The, the one I have is sick. The one that they send out now is like not as cool because so many people have the million now. Um, so I kind of got lucky when I got mine. I was but uh, all right, Yuli, did you did you come up with your top five Thanksgiving sides? Because if you didn't, it's okay. You have them? I can, I can, I, I didn't write them down or anything, but I feel like I know. Okay. Well, I was going to say, if you don't have them off the top of your head, you could judge, you could judge who wins between me and Silas. But if you have them, we'll have all three of us go, and then we can have the listeners judge who picked the best ones. Okay. Let's do that. I want, I want to people, let people know my sides because I'm boring. You don't want people to know your sides or you do? No, I want them to know, but I'm I want them to vote and I know I'm gonna lose because I got I got boring sides. Okay. 
Okay. So if you're in the YouTube uh, chat, you can you can let us know live or you can let us know later in the comments. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, uh, drop drop something on our Instagram, our last post, who won. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll make a graphic. Silas, well, let's do that. We'll make a graphic with all three of us. And, uh, oh, there he is, Psy right. Guy. We'll make a graphic we with it. all three of us, and we'll post it on the Instagram for everyone to vote yeah. over there. So everyone vote on the Instagram. All right. Who, uh, I, I don't think we should do a draft where if someone says something, it's off the board because then we, we could potentially have some people like having terrible sides and I will not pick certain sides. I refuse. <laughs> so I've got, I've got my five. I think we just go one by one. And if it's the same side, it's the same side. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to jot these down in the notes here. So that way we have them. So Yuli and then Silas. Yeah. I okay. tried to pick some that weren't that you didn't have. I tried to pick some ones. That Wait, were you looked at, you looked at my list. Well, Ah, oh that okay. Everyone's got. There might be an asterisk now because Silas looked at my list prior to. <laughs> I mean, it's in it. the notes. What oh, we I could say? do a poll. Yeah, yeah let me. <laughs> let me. Uh, yeah, it's true. Let me. I am gonna start a poll for our TLC members. So, who picked the best? If you vote right now, I'm just gonna say you're an idiot. Right? Because we haven't said anything. So hold your votes until we say everything. Yeah. All right. Brody, Yuli, and Silas. Um, start poll. Okay. All right. Yuli, we'll let you go first. Number one side that I would pick has to be mashed potatoes. That's the number one. It's got to be across the board <laughs> number one side at Thanksgiving. So I'll I'll start there. Do I do all five? Uh, no, just do one at a time. So you're going you're going mashed yep. potatoes. Okay, Silas, go one. ahead. Okay, little dark horse one here. Pigs oh, in a geez. blanket. Pigs in a blanket. You know what that is? Okay, I I have no. I know what that is. I was trying to see if that's actually a Thanksgiving side, but I have had it before. It yeah, it is. It's definitely a side that you normally only see at like big spreads. It's not like yes. a, it, it's definitely a dark horse side. It's not one that it, a lot of I, people I, have. I try, I try to go for the dark horse ones. So to me though, I will say to me, pigs in a blanket kind of feels like an appetizer that you have while you're watching the football games. That's fair. So That's I, fair. I could a, see a little it. too I, casual. I yeah, okay. I mean, I'm probably not sitting down and and pulling out my fine china That's and putting fair. pigs on the blanket on it. But I will say it is absolutely delicious. So I will give you that. Um, okay, I'm gonna go because I love this all the time. But around Thanksgiving, it just slaps because I think you you normally buy the store bought ones, the craft ones, the ones that have the powdered cheese. But when it's Thanksgiving, you bust out the Velveta, the Velveeta, and you get it really cheesy. That's the mac and cheese, baby. The mac and cheese, absolutely delicious. Um, I I even like it when you know later later it, once it's all eaten, I can have my turkey and I can dip it in the sauce, yeah. the little cheese sauce. I mean, it's it it's 
good by itself. It's a good dip. I love it all around. Mac and cheese is my number one. Am I am I am I crazy to think that like mac and cheese really isn't like a Thanksgiving deal? Yeah, you're cr- oh, crazy. It's, it's way more Thanksgiving uh, than pigs in the blankets. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yes, yes, I can agree with that. But I I think those those are definitely I don't know. All right, moving moving on to my to my number right. two. You're number yep. two. We're just keeping it boring. We're keeping it boring and classic. I'm a classic guy. I like I like some nice corn. Just some corn. Solid corn. Okay. All right. My second. I, yeah, like, there's what? not much to say there. I, yeah. I, I will say I like I like your two sides though. I like a mixed up. I like putting my corn in my yes. mashed potatoes. Yes. I will if say you're that. At Thanksgiving and there's mashed potatoes and there's corn. Are you getting them both? I hate corn on the cob. I will say that. If it's corn on the cob, uh, screw I don't, no you. No corn on the cob. Take, it's not corn Take the on time the to take like it off. Corn in, in the bowl. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, my teeth, the gaps in my teeth, I don't know why. They just don't, they don't work with me. And like, I just get corn right. shoved up in my gaps. Um, off, off the cob corn. I like that a lot. All right. Go ahead, yeah. Silas. All right. My second one is a, is a stuffing casserole. You you mix you you get the stuffing and then you got the turkey that's in there too. You put a little bit of turkey in there, and uh, I mean it's a good dish. It's a good classic. dish. Anyone yeah, can make classic. it. Classic. I will say this: I me and Silas, I don't think I don't think me and Silas are gonna pick the same side. I I Why? don't think we're gonna have I don't think we're gonna have one side that's similar. Maybe I mean you looked at my list before, so maybe you did pick one stuffing of mine. Stuffing casserole. That's not, not that's that. not Thanksgiving side. No, no, it is. I'm saying I don't think me, I don't think my list and your list are going to intersect at all. Okay. The stuff that you're picking, yeah. I think, I think you guys we're have on, potatoes on your list. I'm asking. I don't know. We'll find out, Yuli. It's not my number one, though. I'll tell okay. you that much. Um. All right. Oh well, wait, these gonna, were these were like number one was the first, like well, our Yuli best one. Doing that. That's that's what Yuli you started. I'm just gonna list. Have Thanksgiving without mashed potatoes. It's impossible. I mean, I'm just gonna list them in it order of what they've been said. That's okay. Potatoes. I'm listing them in order of what they're said. So, however you want to put them on the graphic is up to you, Silas. But I'm putting them in order of this. Um, all right, my pick again. This is this is a, a for sure a Thanksgiving side. I only have it on Thanksgiving. I never have it any other time. You get. Whatever those delicious breadcrumbs or crinkle, whatever that is, onion crinkle something gets topped on the top. This is the green bean casserole. This thing slaps. It is absolutely delicious. It makes something that I don't actually think is that delicious, green beans by itself. I don't know what they do to make it so good. But green bean casserole, you get the weird white sauce. I don't even know what that is. It's the cream of mushroom soup. That's what it it's is. It's delicious. Yeah. Green bean casserole, number two pick. <laughs> Yuli? Is back. Is it back on me? Yep. <clears throat> well, I was going to say green bean casserole for the next one. So I'm going to just, so that there's not, so that there's an extra side so people know that we're actually making an effort here. I'll go, I'll try to think of an obscure one. That I like. That I enjoy dev, uh, deviled eggs. 
solid. That's a solid like side little deal that you kind of munch on before the meal. Yeah, it's a solid that's side. Not, I just don't like them. I, I don't like deviled eggs I mean, either. I, I I know there are people out there that do. I don't enjoy I'm those just, at all. Hey, I would have had I would have had gravy casserole. I'm throwing this in as like a little as you could have picked, picked casserole. You could have picked casserole. No, that's my. I mean, I guess then. number three is green bean casserole. Then. I'm actually changing the rules. I'm changing the rules. We're doing a draft. Right. You can't pick the same thing. That's for, I, I, I like, like that. that. Yeah, I like what you said. Okay. Yeah, I like that. We're doing okay. a draft. Your okay. devil. Okay. You're then taking. You're taking deviled eggs. Deviled eggs. No. Oh. Okay. No, I'm not. All right. Oh. That okay. Was a bonus for the That's what I was saying. I was giving you don't, them some you don't want that, extra. You don't want that weird. Uh, you don't want that weird red dust that they put <laughs> on top of those things. <laughs> that that weird magic red oh, dust. I'm going into a new something new that I've just started in, to enjoy as an adult. And that is beer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, how about beets? I like some beets. I never did when I was a kid. <laughs> I like beets now. I okay. said I was a classic guy. We got we got mashed potatoes, corn, beets. That's All right. a classic Thanksgiving. Beets is trash. That's a trash pick. Beets is beets is a trash pick. No one's excited on waking up to eat beets. No one's excited to wake up to eat beets. Yeah, I think I think that beets are are definitely a Thanksgiving. All yeah. right, I, I'm going back to a classic. I'm going back to a classic. The sweetness, the sweet potato oh casserole. Mm-hmm. I mean, Took it's it a staple. List. It's a staple. You got, you got it. I mean, if there's not sweet potato casserole at your Thanksgiving, you're doing something wrong. The the uh, the potato or the uh, the marshmallows on top, yeah, is really freaking good. That really, no, really, never liked it. I'm good. Okay. Interesting. You're good on sweet potato. What about sweet potato pie? Because those those are two no. those are two different things. No, thank you. He's that's out my, on sweet potato pie. Third. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with something. I gotta take this. And I don't know if this constitutes for the entire category. I'm taking cornbread. I'm taking cornbread. Mm. You you gotta have that starch. You gotta have the the the. I mean, you can just pack on the calories. Like I said, you you can use the cornbread to dip into the mashed potatoes. You can use the cornbread to dip into the mac and cheese sauce. It it's is a vessel. Absolutely, it is so freaking good. I'm going cornbread. That's third pick. One. I feel like I feel like it's a freaking great third pick. You guys yeah. are getting dominated right now. All right, Yuli, you're up. Uh, all right, my I'm up. Let me think here. Is gravy a side? Yeah. Yeah. Or does it? Yeah, I gotta I gotta go with a good, a good brown one. gravy then. You're going gravy. Yep. Okay. I, I've never been a gravy person either. Kind of weird. Really? I know. I just I like don't you don't put why. a little gravy on your turkey? A little drizzle? Kind of freaks kinda of, kinda of freaks me out. Gonna be honest with you. Kinda of freaks me out. 
Like, I don't know why. Weird. Like, we could imagine us all bringing our sides. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I'm not coming to your Thanksgiving. I'm literally eating like half of your half of your things. That's all I'm eating. No, no. beats for me. <laughs> all right. Are we saying desserts? Our dessert That's side. That's not a side. Our dessert no. side. All right. I want to clarify. I want to clarify. Because if you go pumpkin pie right now, I swear. I mean, I the thought crossed my mind. I'm really uh, glad that Yuli took beets though, because there aren't that many good sides left. But that is that the beets is great. All right, go all ahead, right. Silas. I'm going broccoli and cheese casserole. Good one. Broccoli Solid. and cheese casserole. Not as good as green bean casserole, but it is a good one. I I I like it better. Slightly. Really? I like it slightly better. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay, I think I have to, you know, the mashed potatoes I think is probably the one of the best. I, I still like my 1-1 one, one, uh, mac and cheese pick, but mashed potatoes is up there. So, I think I got to have a potato. So, I'm taking I'm taking the sweet potato. I'm taking just straight up a good old-fashioned Sweet potato. Oh, just the sweet potato, not the yeah, casserole. Yeah. No, no, that's sweet I potato casserole. That's sweet potato casserole. I'm talking thing. about. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about. No, no. My sweet potato. Me and Yuli have potatoes. We're the potato guys. We're the potato guys. You're not putting butter on a sweet potato casserole. Okay? You're not putting butter on a sweet potato casserole. I'm getting sweet potato you crack it open, the steam comes out, you put a little butter in there. I actually like to close it back up after I've cracked it open to let the butter melt in it. I'm taking sweet potato. Solid move. Solid move. All right, we all okay. got one more, right? Last pick. Ah, there's nothing. Oh. Just a classic roll. All right. Like just Man. a classic, you know? Yep. Yep. It's not as good as it's not as Gotta good as cornbread, but yes. It's a good roll. Rolls are good. The fact that you got that fifth is pretty impressive. I got I gotta take probably one of the only the the last things on the left on the table here, and that's the cranberry yeah, it's another, sauce. Oh. That's what I gotta oh, that's take. Solid. Yeah, cranberry hey, I, it's pretty good. I've never eaten it, but I, I like it. I like it on like stuffing is good. Just a little side item. Yeah, it, it's it's solid. It's solid. Yeah. I think my issue with this is like I'm literally just picking stuff that I really enjoy and I like to eat. So I'm going fifth, last one. I'm going well no, sometimes you can play up to the audience and you can you could grab something. Like I could have I, I could have picked stuffing. I'm going I'm going cream yeah. spinach. I'm going cream spinach. I don't have really any other options. Everything else on the board's kind of trash. Casserole and cream and no, no. Silas is the casserole guy. Silas has three casseroles. I, I am the casserole guy. They do call me that. <laughs> All right, so here, here's the list. Here's the list. You have myself going mac and cheese, green bean casserole. Cornbread, sweet potato, cream spinach. Yuli goes mashed potatoes, corn, beets, gravy, roll. 
And then Silas goes, pigs in a blanket, yeah. stuffing stuffing casserole, <laughs> sweet potato casserole, <laughs> broccoli and cheese casserole, and cranberry sauce. Dude, pigs in a blanket. Right. Most underrated side on uh, uh, on Thanksgiving. They are delicious. I will say they are absolutely delicious. Okay, favorite um, dessert, though. Pumpkin pie. Yeah, pumpkin pie. Yeah. I mean, What's the pool looking like? Oh, Yuli. Yuli's Yuli, 50, 55%. Yuli's crushing it. Because I got mashed potatoes in there. Yeah. Nobody can pick something else. Mashed potatoes oh, is a killer. Mashed potatoes are I like delicious. A, I, I like a good uh, apple pie or, or something like that. Maybe a, a cobbler if they put it Dutch. in there. Pumpkin, obviously, apple is pie. a classic. Yeah. But, yeah, a little but ice cream on the side. If I show up and you don't have a pumpkin pie and instead you have a pecan pie, I'm literally walking out. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not staying. If you have pecan pie, I'm, I'm out. I am out. Little eggnog, Uh, you know, to wet your whistle. Maybe sneak a little rum in there on accident. I'm out on the eggnog too. That stuff tastes Oh, you don't like eggnog? No? I'm telling you, man, a lot of this food I don't like. It's, it's wild. All right. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that was fun. All right, there you have it. We'll make we'll make the graphic. Uh, vote over on our Instagram. I think it's tour life underscore pod or tour life underscore podcast. Um, so go check that out. We'll have that up maybe tomorrow. Um, yeah, we probably should post that tomorrow, Silas, since tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Yeah, we'll have it up there. Yeah, we'll have it up tomorrow. So go vote on that. But uh, let's now jump into some listener questions here. We got a few listener questions. The first one is coming from the hey, football guy. That was fun guy. to get Silas on there for the people to see the, the man behind. Yes. We're going to do more of that. Silas is going to be a Good. little bit more involved in the show moving forward. So we'll, we'll get more of, that, uh, more of that kind of stuff for the future. Um, all right. Listener questions. The football guy wants to know. Uh, indeed, do you recall a few months ago when I inquired about the potential concern for the pro tour regarding top pros venturing to Europe and subse- subsequently diminishing the strength of the U.S. field? Is that of any concern uh, to you, Yuli, that them creating a tour over in Europe that's now pulling people from the U.S. tour and now we are basically going to have a watered-down field in both events. Should that be a concern? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, no, I don't think so. I think the fields are fine. I mean, they're going to be smaller I, fields, but that, I, I feel like for the big events, they should schedule around it, which I think they did a pretty good job, but I don't, I don't know. If you're if you're gonna try to go over there to duck for the sole purpose of like points or something, um, I understand that because people are trying to get a tour card and stuff. Uh, as far as now, nah, well, right do you now, ever see? Do you ever see? Because uh, I, I think this could happen when the money is a little bit better if it gets there, to where traveling is easier. I think you could potentially take tournaments that aren't really producing numbers that aren't really doing that well in the States and cut those out. And just the tour is us, 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 Europe, 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 us, 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 us. And that's the tour. There's no overlap. There's nothing. 
when we're over in Europe playing, nothing is going on in the States. There's a potential for that, I think, in the future. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how all how all plays out and works out. By the way, you won the poll with 46% of the votes. 60 people. You almost had 30 people voting for you, Yuli. That's, uh, Man, that's weird. Quite... Dark horse beats in there. The <laughs> Imagine fact, if I didn't have beats I, there and I traded here's it with like a stuffing. I would have just destroyed you guys. I love the Tour Life crew. I think they're biased. I don't think you're going to get that many votes. That that majority of a votes with beats on Instagram. I just, I don't. I we'll think see. So when you put mashed potatoes in there, dude. Oh my goodness. We will Nobody's see. Nobody's turning down. You can't have Thanksgiving without mashed potatoes. It's impossible. Glory, glory, Man United. What's the etiquette etiquette for winning a random doubles ace pool? Are there qualifiers? First shot. Partner park the hole. Partner is trash. What do you do in this scenario? And I'm going to, you answer this question because I have no idea. I've never done random draw doubles. What do you mean? Oh, etiquette for ace running? No, no, no. Like you, you aced, you aced, you aced, and now your partner, like what, what is the proper etiquette? Like if they're trash, do you just take all the money yourself? But if they went first and they parked the hole to allow you to try to ace it and you aced it, do you split the money with them? What What do you do if you win the it's ace gotta pool? Be, it's got to be decided beforehand, first of all. Okay. That's the etiquette. Is, hey, are we splitting the ace pool today? And then they go, yeah, I'll split it with you. But there is times, I'm not going to lie, where I needed a little money, and I knew my partner was never ace running a hole in his life <laughs> on the course. And maybe I didn't mention it. Uh, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where you're like <laughs> carrying this guy around the course, hit the ace pool, and now you know it's like 500 bucks. I'm supposed to give him 250 bucks. If it wasn't discussed, I always gave my partner a piece. Typically, when I was younger, I can't quote that because, like I said, when you're younger, you need the money. Um, yeah, I would like to think that I did, but I can't remember every case. But for the most part, I, I, would, I split with my partner. All right. Uh, Gabe Melendez on Twitter wants to know, should more disc golf manufacturers reach out to sponsor influencer-type personalities that have never played disc golf? Innova and Discraft seem to do this some, but haven't noticed many others at all. I mean, it's just advertisement, right? Like, that happens with, it, with a bunch of companies. It's good advertisement, so yeah, probably a good idea to get influencers involved. Um, yeah, if you have the money, I mean, the the it doesn't shock me that Discraft and Innova are the ones that are doing this because I think they probably have the most funds to be able to do this. Yeah. If you're a smaller company and your marketing budget is a lot smaller, you're probably not reaching out to someone outside of the sport to like try to market. You know, you're trying, you're probably going to first try to use that money with someone that's directly uh, involved with the sport. So I think it makes a lot of sense for the bigger companies because they're already using a lot of money to market themselves inside of disc golf. And now they're also able to spread out a little bit and, and use some of that for outside. 
Scott Cashin on our Discord wait, wait, wants to know. Is, I just had a thought. Is ham a side you can have at Thanksgiving? No. No. That is a pro no. that's like a meat okay. protein. That's like an that's all a meat. Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a main, that's a, is that main course. Is it's it, like a, or is yeah. the turkey the main and then everything besides turkey? Is no, there's some size. people that don't even have turkey. There's some people that don't even have turkey. They yeah, might they just, just have, have ham. Out. Yeah. So yeah, I, okay. I, sorry, yeah. that just went yeah. into my mind. <laughs> and I'm like, did we miss? <laughs> You're locked in for tomorrow, is what you are. Um, all right, Scott Scott Cashin over on our Discord wants to know how long are you and Yuli staying in Europe for 2024? You mentioned earlier in the pod that you uh were thinking about maybe playing in some more events. So do you have any any intel on w- what your thoughts are there? I have none right now. I, I have to look at the tour. I have to talk with the misses. I have to talk with Brad and really get my schedule. Um, that's a long time to be over there, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I want to think that I can do it and I can play most of those events, especially since they don't really, they don't really conflict with other tournaments. But at the same time, that would be nice to be home for, for, for some amount of time. They don't put ice in their water, Yuli. Something to think about. True. How long can you That's last true. without ice in your drinks? Uh, for me, I think, I think I'm for sure going over for two weeks. I think I'm going to be playing the European Open and then at the event, I believe it's in Finland, the week before the European Open. I believe those are the two it events. It doesn't that overlap be... with any of our... our those two don't. Stops, does it? Those... Yeah. those oh. Gosh, dang it. Th- those two don't. The other two uh, do. The rest, a lot of the other ones do actually do overlap. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Final yeah, question so right here now, is from... Same, same, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but right now, no, same plan as you. Probably the two, the two for sure. Like, European Open for sure. The one before for sure. But I also was looking at the Copenhagen. I kind of like that one. Because hmm. I'd never been over there. Gotcha. All right, final question was, here. Uh, no, go keep well, going, sorry, keep going. Um, and it was because it was the uh, OTB, and that oh, place yes. just absolutely demolishes my dreams. And so, <laughs> you know, like last last year, I remember playing like pretty good and just get, being last place, and 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 thinking like, <laughs> I don't even know why I came to California. So I, I was thinking maybe Copenhagen because I think that overlaps with OTB. Anyway, go ahead. I gotta go. I I gotta go back to OTB because the water dogs out there, the guys that are getting all of our discs, they I think look forward to the steak dinner that they're gonna have after I tip them for all the discs that they return to me. So <laughs> I got I gotta go back out there and uh, because they're expecting it, right? They're they're like Brody's gonna throw ten discs in the water. We're going to get all of them back to him. He's going to leave us a nice little steak dinner money. So uh, I got to go back there. All right. Final question. Hire Callan Deboer is also on our discord. They want to know when is it too early to set up for Christmas? Like now? Like today, I feel like. Well, yeah, I, I, house. but when is, when, like, what, uh, like, what about, what about tomorrow? What about the next day? At what point can you start setting up for Christmas in your mind? 
The day after Thanksgiving. The day after? Wow, okay. If you want to. I'm December. I, I feel like December 1st, put up the tree, put the lights up. I'm all about December. Someone in chat says anytime in November, they're throwing stuff up November 1st. Are you crazy? I'm, I'm a December guy. Dude, I feel like December is Christmas. You gotta wait till after Thanksgiving. Kelsey is disagreeing then... with me. So I'm not saying that's what we do. I'm just saying that's, I'm, I'm down with December. Kelsey wants to put the lights and tree up as soon as possible. Yeah, you see. And did she put it up before Thanksgiving, though? There's no way. After, she says after you eat is when you can start putting it up on Thanksgiving. All right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to watch football. Well, we know Kelsey's what you're doing over tomorrow. There. Kelsey's over there putting tinsel on the freaking uh, stairwell. Stairway, stair. What is that called? Staircase. Stairwell. Yeah. Stairwell feels like it goes down to the basement. No, a stairwell is like a circular, circular. I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy. Circular ones. Wait, the circular one is a. uh, That's a stairwell. Yeah, spiral staircase. Yes, I think it's. I think it's a spiral staircase is what I would call it. But maybe that is a stair. Maybe a stairwell is also a spiral staircase. Something to think about. All right. Um, housekeeping, few, <laughs> few things. <laughs> few, few things for housekeeping. Shout out to all of our uh, new members and re- recurring members. We've got Pee Wee in the chat, Brian H in the chat, Dustin Dinsmore in the chat, Marcus Hirata. Grant Bontiger has been a member for seven months. Shout out to you. Thank you. And then we've got Kenneth Lawson also in the chat. So thanks to all our two life crew members. If you're interested in joining the tour life crew, uh, I think you can do it for as little as one ninety nine. We have a bunch of different tiers. It gives you access to not only be able to live chat, but also gives you access to a bunch of other stuff. If you're interested in that, check out the link is in the description down below. I think I'm going to be doing my next Q and a for tour life crew members in the next week or two, probably two weeks from now. So check that out uh, and appreciate. We always appreciate all the support that you guys are giving us our Spotify and Apple podcasts update. We have 765 reviews on Spotify, 206 reviews on Apple Spotify, still absolutely killing, killing Apple and uh, 5K Instagram giveaway for everyone listening. And you haven't entered yet. You are missing out. When our Instagram hits 5,000 followers, we are giving away these two beautiful discs. For our listeners, we have a, I believe it's a Jawbreaker Z Flex Yuli Raptor. And then we have a Z Halo-ish um, dark horse. This was like one of my OG OG designs. I call it the yin and the yang dark horse. Um, cause they're kind of intertwined with one another nuke. We're giving these two beautiful discs away. Once our Instagram hits 5,000 followers So make sure you go check out that, um, check out black Friday on foundation this Friday, black Friday on Discraft. pick up some great time to pick up some stuff for Christmas 
And uh, Yuli, you got anything else for the people? Yeah, Power Disc Golf Academy. We're also having a sale um, on Black Friday, so go check that out. There's going to be a big discount, 65% off for the rest of the season. So, Ooh, doggy. Very nice. Very nice. So, all right. Well, we are going to lead into now our interview with the GOAT of bowling. This man has won 31 PBA Tour wins. He has 15 major championships. He's been the PBA player of the year seven times. He is one of the greatest bowlers of all time. This is Jason Belmonte, and me and Yuli had the absolute privilege to sit down and talk with him. We talk bowling. We talk disc golf. There's actually a lot of similarities between the two. He also disc golfs a little bit, so he kind of had an idea of what was going on. Yuli, what are your thoughts before we go into the interview? What are your thoughts of Jason Belmonte? Oh, absolute professional, man. It was a it was a pleasure to listen to his opinions. It was um he's well versed and and obviously uh very polished in what he knows as far as bowling, but just sports in general, I felt like. And it, it was an absolute pleasure, yeah. Yeah, it was very, very cool. So without further ado, we'll lead into that and we'll see you guys all next week. Happy, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. If you're traveling, listening right now, safe travels, enjoy the family time, enjoy the food, and uh, make sure you vote for me in the uh, top five best sides for Thanksgiving on Instagram because we all know beets are trash and no one wants three casseroles. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. All right, we are joined with the one, the only, Jason. Belmonte, brother, how's it going? Boys, boys, it's doing well. <laughs> it's doing good. Thanks for having me on your tour life show. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, as far as we communicated a little while ago about potentially coming on, uh, you are our first guest that is not a disc golfer. So congratulations. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we wanted to spread out a little bit. And bowling gets brought up on this podcast potentially more than any other sport. And I figured, why not have the best bowler in the world on our podcast? So well, well, I got to stop you there. I got to stop you there. I'm actually, uh, I shouldn't say I'm a disc golfer myself, but I have played disc golf plenty of times. So I feel like I've got a little uh, insider information about, uh, about the game that a non-disc golfer might have. Okay, so you've 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 actually played a decent amount. I wouldn't say a decent amount. I'm not good at it because uh, the the disc is not round enough. It's not spherical enough for me <laughs> to be really good with it. But I absolutely freaking love it. I really love it. Um, and so there are quite a few bowlers that have their own. I've learned a lot about the sport, about all the different kinds of discs, um, different courses, different um techniques in throwing uh, so i i want to play it more so i do get a little better at it and i just love the fact that you know what you can you can just do it by yourself if you want to have a little time to yourself it's a it's a relatively quick outing as well like you know regular golf can take quite a while to play so i love the fact that you can just grab yourself a disc go to the course and just get some time to yourself to put some earpods in listen to some music and just chill when i don't have to throw a ball down the line. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there are a lot of similarities like you just mentioned between disc golf and bowling. 
Um, and I think some of the things that we're going to get into here is a little bit how bowling has grown over the last decade or 20 years, let's say, and see where disc golf maybe can improve or things that we're trying to do differently. Um, so I'm really curious about kind of all the that side of things, the growth side of the sport. Uh, before we get into that, though, there are a couple like just questions that I think a lot of just average bowlers or average sports people have. And uh, one of that is what is the average score for like a top pro? Because I think there is a misconception that you guys just go out and bowl 290, 295, 300 like every time. What would be like a good score for a top bowler, um, a top pro bowler? Yeah, so let's let's lay down the parameters on what that means first, okay? And and we can use disc golf as a as a an analogy with this too. There are some um, courses that are typically harder than others, okay? And there are there are different uh, holes as well that are typically harder than others. And so your par score on a difficult hole versus a pass score on an easier hole. If you were to ask somebody what your best round is at this disc golf, the next question that you probably want to know is, well, where did you play, right? What, what was the environment in which you scored that low score at? And then if you know the course and you know the level of difficulty, you can give that a bump up as in like, wow, I know that's a really tough course or you can say, oh, yeah, it's, it's a relatively easy course. So, like, I can see how someone can shoot that low. And the same thing in bowling. So, the difference between your game and my game is yours is a visual. I can see the trees. I can see how far the basket away is. I can see the difficulty in, the, in, in how hard it is to get there in one or two. Uh, in my game, the oil pattern that I bowl on is invisible and, therefore, it's very hard to convey the level of difficulty. So the best way that I can describe it is at a pro level, our environment is the most difficult environment that you can play on, meaning the oil and the way that we spread it across the lane uh, is conducive to very difficult shot making. So if you have a little bit too much speed, the ball won't hook enough. If you have a little too soft a speed, it'll hook too much. If you miss your target by uh, less than a, a quarter of an inch, you can leave a split. And so you can go to other places, regular houses that don't have tour competitions where you can bowl faster or slower, you can miss left and right, and, and the oil pattern will help the ball towards the pocket. So mm. that's the environment that we play on, which is why also when you ask a uh, a very specific question about what do we average? Our averages sometimes are lower than what you may see from a regular league player, but the environments that we play on are wildly different. And so when I shoot, which I think on my tour, I shouldn't say my tour, on the tour, uh, my average is high 220s, 228 between that. I'll, I'll score that across the entire season. Some weeks will be a lot higher if the scoring pattern is a little easier um and then other weeks when they're literally impossible they're just impossible your your uh, your season average will go down and so when you compare that to a regular league player i mean most of the guys that i meet that are pretty good players at league they'll have a higher average than me but they're bowling on very different stuff 
That makes a lot of sense, actually. And so when did they start implementing like oil patterns? Oh, dude, since the beginning. Yeah, since the beginning. Oh, really? Ever re- oh, since there's ever been um, really a lane and, and with, I call it modern bowling balls, but ever since, yeah, I would say the early 1900s, I would say oil was, was been put on, onto the lane. Now, as the years have evolved, so has technology. And now the way that we create oil patterns is, it used to be done by hand, right? You used to have a spray gun and you used to just spray oil on the lane and then you would mop it out with a, with a rag. Well, it was actually kind of like a, um, well, it's essentially a rag on a long steel stick and you would just push the oil around. But now we have machines that are worth fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 that can oh, wow. individually oil specific boards and volumes and be very, very accurate. And so now the ability to design an oil pattern has made it the game so much more interesting from a a professional point of view because yeah you can lay down oil patterns that require a whole wide range of skills from throwing it very fast and straight and to next game having to bowl it really slow with a really big hook and so the player is challenged so Mm. much more now than ever before i believe how does that, and that probably um, also oh go go ahead yeah Yuri. how does that work as far as so the oil patterns change obviously in your competitions but how much practice do you get prior to like learn that certain pattern from game to game do they switch it up every single game and then bowling like you know let's say you're on fire and i know how accurate you guys are let's say you bowl perfectly every time does that oil pattern begin to change throughout your game Oh yeah, good questions, and you're 100 percent right in some of those things. Like in the in the assumption that it's not just accuracy that we have to deal with; is we are also uh, trying to overcome the future. So every time we throw a ball down the lane, that ball is manipulating the oil on the lane, and so where there once was oil, our ball will go through that track and it will take the oil away. So as you know, 120 competitors are bowling um, on the pro tour week to week. Every single time someone's throwing a ball down the lane, that oil has been manipulated. And therefore, I have to be able to see the manipulation to an invisible oil pattern. And that is incredibly difficult. It's essentially like imagine you throwing a disc golf, but not knowing which way the wind was blowing until you mm. threw the disc. And then you would make the adjustment only after you say, oh, the wind was blowing left to right. I didn't know that, but now I do. I can make the adjustment. So, so do we. We can execute a perfect delivery and what we think is a perfect delivery, but the oil has changed. And now the result is a split on a perfect delivery. So we make a lot of our adjustments after the result and the very best in our game can predict when those adjustments need to happen and you make them before that you you see a poor result now in terms of when we see the oil pattern on the pro tour we'll get an entire day of practice day well i shouldn't say entire day it's a three-hour session and so all the players can practice on the pattern and we can manipulate our equipment we can change the surface of our bowling balls to hook more or less depending on what we want to do to the oil pattern but once the tournament starts, 
and you're off to the races. Every game that you move pairs and you go to the next part of the tournament, there's no more practice for you. So you're making these moves lane to lane. You have no idea who's been mm. bowling where and, and what part of the lane has been manipulated. Sometimes you're fortunate that the, the shot that you're trying to create has been left alone. No one's been there. And so you might get a little consistency from, from game to game. And then all of a sudden you come across a pair of lanes where everybody has been bowling where you have been. And now the ball hooks 10 times more and you have to make those adjustments very quickly on the fly. Um, otherwise you, you'll suffer with your score. And so that's part of what I think makes bowling such a, a truly difficult game is we just, we play on an invisible oil field that's constantly changing. So even when you figure it out, it changes again. And so the puzzle is constantly needing to be completed. Um, and then, like you just said, we have over the course of a season, we'll play on 20, 25 different oil patterns. And so even when you figure one out, that's it. It's gone for the year. You go on to the next one and it's a new puzzle mm. that you have to recreate and relearn and, and rediscover. And, and it makes it again, very, very challenging, but that's, why we love bowling on the pro tour is the best bowlers will always rise to the top. Um, and I think that's part of, part of the reason why it's, it's such a beautiful game. Yeah. It seems like what you're just saying, I could luckily beat you in one bowl, right? If we both went and had one bowl, I could guess right the first time and you could guess wrong the first time and I could beat you. <coughs> But over the course of 10 frames, you're beating me because you're, you're figuring it out. And you might be like, oh, I need to take spin off. I need to add speed. And I can't do that. Is that right? Yeah, very, very close to it. Yeah, I mean, one, one game um, at, at our level anyway, you versus me in one game, I would find it very unlikely that I wouldn't figure it out to the point where you had and you could execute at a higher percentage than I could. It would be no different than disc golf. I could beat you on the first shot, right? I could get a par, you could get a bogey, but if we play an entire round, it's very unlikely that I'm gonna beat you, very unlikely. And so that's the same in bowling. You could, you could brag to your friends that you beat me for a shot or two, but if we played enough games or en enough frames, I'd, I'd be able to come back. Yeah, that seems like one of the issues that we have with some of the courses is disc golf feels like it's it's kind of outgrown some courses that we used to play 10, 20 years ago, let's say, where, like you were just saying, we have some holes that the scoring separation is very small. The, the, the shots that are at, they're asking for are ones that a lot of people can kind of spray shots and still get birdies. And uh, it seems like that's something that I've always – been pushing that you want to try to create a level of difficulty to where there are gaps, not even just bad, medium, and good, but where it's like the greatest. There's gaps even at the highest of levels, right? Yeah. You see, you know, the thing that I, I have often wondered about disc golf and why there weren't some holes that maybe trialed and tested some kind of variation to it was you have the ability, because it's not like regular golf, where to increase the difficulty in regular golf, 
Uh, you can narrow the fairways for sure. You can put bunkers in in certain locations for sure. Uh, but you typically lengthen the course. And not that I'm suggesting we lengthen disc golf because then in the game of, of strategy is kind of lost a little bit. And, and I always wondered why it, with disc golf, there wasn't more man-made stuff on the course to create People hate it. To create People strategy. Oh, they hate it? See, I, I well, don't know. I kind of figured if you could make a hole that was relatively easy become relatively challenging by placing, you know, like a net of some kind to prevent a very... Or an inflatable. An inflatable that you have to throw through. Please say sure. <laughs> I thought he was going to say it, Yuli. That yeah, that's that's Yuli's big thing. He wants he wants these big, like, bounce houses kind of in that... The idea of an inflatable bounce house... He wants something kind of like that out in fairways that we have to throw through. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll be real with you, okay? The idea of an inflatable something, I think, if it, and bear with me here, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not totally shitting on your idea, all right? But <laughs> um, from a visual perspective, another reason why disc golf is beautiful is because your environment is nature. It is beautiful, mm -hmm. right? And so when you start putting these inflatable things it takes away from that natural beauty of the course now you could put a black netting up with you know some kind of i don't know tape that's not too invasive to say you're not throwing through here like forget about it this is too easy we're blocking this path off and and we're going to make this a little more challenging and therefore you're going to have to create strategy do you want to go over this part under this part or around this part. If you go around it, it's easier, but it makes the hole a lot longer for you. Whatever it is, you, you design the course with these ideas of, of implementing structures to prevent the scores from getting too low because too many people have worked the game out on certain courses. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the only thing that you could do, but it's one thing I remember playing going, I'm not very good, and I found a few holes to be like, this is pretty easy. And it shouldn't be like it should never really be easy for someone like yep. me. It should be always challenging, and then I need to to get much better before I can claim to say this isn't this is an obvious birdie hole for me. But um, I can already start to say that, and I don't think I'm that good. Yeah, it, we're in a weird spot, right? Because the way you know we're we're obviously a sport that's derived from golf and so i use golf a lot of times when i'm talking about disc golf and you've got two types of you know you have really three options to play golf right you can go to a normal course then you can go to a par 3 course where every hole is less than 175 yards or you can go play putt putt Right. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that go and play putt putt and really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. They get hole in ones, all this stuff. A putt putt course, though, wouldn't be fun if it was super easy, like you were saying, right? Where there's just like 20 feet ahead, ahead of you, no curves, no elephant's mouth, no, no windmills, just a putt. Like that's not really that enjoyable. So they do make putt putt very, very difficult. Where I think right now, and Yuli, jump in here too. I think right now a lot of like courses are easy putt putt courses to where you can say like you go out and you're just like ah I don't really feel like that 
this hole is that challenging. And you're saying from your side, you would love to see that for you being like a newer disc golfer, you would love to have more of a challenge on these courses. You like, yeah. like, is that, is yeah. that kind of correct with the, the course layout, I guess the analogy there? Well, I think, I think it has a lot to do with like what he's saying with like his oil patterns and what they have to deal with. Um, Cause at our level, the courses that we play, if we took, him and and put us on any of those holes they're going to be considered difficult holes without Correct. a doubt yeah. and there are so many easier hole i mean there's so many just courses riddled throughout the country and throughout like europe and a few other um places that when once you get to a certain level like at the level that we're talking about that we play at like we're critiquing the best possible players like how do we make these guys who are throwing it 450 on a dot around corners mm -hmm. over corners big anheusers that land flat out of bounds everywhere how do we make it more difficult for those guys right because if i went to you know there's a little course right next to my my house that i love playing and there's 220 foot shots that you go there and if i play good i'm going to shoot between 10 and 14 under last year on the pro tour I shot one round double digits. That was it. Mm -hmm. And so it is difficult, but there's levels to it as well. Like I'm not one of the best players as far as even top 20 in the world. Once you get to the top five, and um, correct me if I'm wrong with this one, Jason. Is the top five bowlers in the world head and shoulders above like the next guys or is the top 10 can they all beat each other any given weekend in our sport Brody and I are pretty dang good golfers but these guys beat us I mean how many times did we beat Calvin this year maybe I think I beat him zero times I don't think I beat him yeah so it's not even in the realm I'm not even saying make these courses harder for myself I'm saying make it harder for the top guys you know yeah yeah so we don't have that level of the dominance in bowling is not as week to week as your experience in with those top players we would see our dominance over the course of a season right now the top guys there's three there's three of us that i would say are um if I may be so bold to say that if I were the king of bowling, uh, there are two princes and they are very, very much wanting to take the crown. And we are jockeying for those positions on a week to week, season to season for the last probably five seasons and probably will be for the next few seasons ahead. The so that's next, like similar to kind of tennis, right? When you had the Federer, the three, Nadal... Yeah. Djokovic 100%. kind of thing, right? We, we are compared to that regularly. Um, the next tier down can beat us multiple weeks in the season. Uh, they can win a title. They can win a major championship. But over the course of a season, fourth through to probably 15th, they can then all jockey for those positions. Um, in, 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 the, in the sense of where they will finish at the end of the season. Underneath that, it's very unlikely that someone from outside the top 20 will overnight 
be in the top five or mm, okay. top 15. There is a progression that you see within players' careers. Only a handful that I'm reckon that I know have gone rookie year one, year two, best in the world. Like this, the environments that we play on are so unique to the PBA tour. It will take you a season or two just to experience it, learn from it, understand it, create skills that will benefit you on that tour. How many players um, so are – um, sorry to interrupt you, but I feel like this is pretty important. How many players are on the PBA tour? And then so, to follow that up, how many, how, many play, how many of those players are doing bowling like full-time? Like they're making enough money to just be bowling. They don't have like side jobs or anything. Yeah, so – on any given week, we'll have 120 competitors um, for a regular tour event. Then we'll have events like the Masters, which will get 400 people competing in it. And then Jeez. for the other major championships, anywhere between, which is usually a limited field based on the, the event that we're playing, anywhere from 120 to 180. So okay. somewhere in that ballpark is a regular. Now, I want to answer this question. The, the question of how many of us are earning a living and can do this full time? Uh, we have a top 50 exempt. So the top 50 every single week are guaranteed a spot in our uh, tournaments. Beyond that, you may have to play in a, in a qualifier to, to qualify for it. Some of the events are even smaller. Some of the events can be 64, 68 guys, depending on the size of the venue that we're play, competing at. Sometimes we, we, we go to some smaller places for our smaller markets, but we'll go there they might not have 52 lanes to compete in. They might only have 32 or whatever it is. And so our fields will decrease those weeks, which makes it a little trickier for those to, to compete week to week. But of those people that are doing just straight up bowling, I would say the top 20 are doing just straight up bowling with sponsors and their earnings from the tour. They're, they're, they're making a living outside of that someone's side hustling somewhere yeah for sure okay okay so then gotcha when's the last time because like for example we had one player this year who was ranked i think like 77th on the tour and he won an event how many times or let's say in the last like three years has there ever been an instance where somebody out like in that let's say that 400 person field somebody who you just never heard of won a tournament I wouldn't say that low in the rankings. Um, we, again, I think you see it, you seem to, to talk about it very much week to week. I think my mind is very much focused as where does everybody sit at the end of the season? So you, you play the whole season and what does that ranking look okay. like? And so through the season, you may see people who, I don't want to use the word shocked because we're all, we're, we're all great players. Like we, we can all bowl really well. There's just, there's a hierarchy. But when you see somebody that you haven't seen before that close to a championship, um, it happens. Yeah, it happens somewhere once or twice a year. You'll see somebody whom the fans will never have met before and don't know their names that where they come from. You kind of find more about their story. Once or twice a year, that may happen. Um, for them to win yeah i rare it yeah. is rare making television is possible but um i can't remember the last time 
um, yeah, a no-name player, and I, I use that with respect because I don't want sure. to name a specific player, but um, a, a no-name player made it to a championship final television show and won the championship. It's been a long time since I can say, does anyone know who this guy is? Like, who is this guy? I've never seen him before in my life, and he's bowling great, and he's just won the major championship. I, I can't remember that. Makes sense. Um, all right, a couple a couple quick like fire questions here. Right, One thing in disc golf uh, that a lot of people keep track of is their aces. They you know they they retire discs once they ace them. They take pictures. They write the their name on the back and all the people that were there. Is that something similar in bowling where you guys are keeping track of how many three hundred games you've had? I think a lot of guys do. Um, I stopped keeping track once I got to a hundred, once I got to a hundred certified professional game, uh, professional, perfect games. Um, let me rephrase that professional in the sense of competition, just not in, not in league play, not in, um, practice or anything like in actual competitions, I got to a hundred and that was kind of the goal when I was a teenager. And so I got there and I kind of stopped counting. Uh, but there are some guys that, keep the markets going to see how many they'll get to. But um, I, I've retired in terms of perfect games. I've retired three bowling balls um, because those were oh. the three perfect games that I've bowled on television, oh, which wow. um, is the most anyone's ever done on television. So the three balls that I've had to shoot those 300 games, I've got them at home. And um, yeah, I wrote all the details on the, you know, the dash. I think the very first one I did, I did properly. I put it on a, a proper ball mental. It has a plaque. It's got all the details. It's really nicely done. And the other two, uh, I've been a bit lazy. I probably need to get onto that <laughs> and, and add them to the thing. Dang, that's sick. I, I I just watched a clip with Emmett Smith when he was going to break the rushing record. And he every quarter, he took off his jersey and put a new jersey on. So he had four game-worn jerseys the game he <laughs> broke his record. So he was able to like give one to charity, give one to the, the Cowboys. He got to keep one. He obviously, I think he kept the fourth quarter one. Um, but that was that, that just reminded me of you having your three, you know, record balls up there. Like that was the kind of the same thoughts, uh, came into my head there. Um, um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about kind of uh, where bowling has changed strategy wise. And I first just want to say apologies to everyone out there. It, it does seem like from a casual fan, because I would say I'm like a casual bowling fan where I like to go bowling and I'll casually watch it on TV when it, when I, you know, I tune on ESPN and, and it's on there. Um, I didn't think there was as much strategy once you kind of explained all the oil patterns, now I'm starting to think, okay, there is actually like you're running numbers, you're trying to figure it out, there's strategy involved, where before I thought it was very much like who can just execute? Who can just go out there and if you hit a strike, great. If you don't, can you pick up the spare? Like who is able to do that under the pressure? Um, and it sounds like there's way more to it than than what I was leading on. So I apologize to all all our bowling listeners. I stand corrected with that. But I, I want to do I, I do want to ask you about the growth in bowling because you've been playing for several years now on tour. Where where have you seen the growth in the sport? I think it's the biggest difference 
from when I first went out on tour to today is the average age of the competitors. So when I was a rookie at, and I, I was a late bloomer as a rookie because I, I live in Australia. Um, my trajectory of my career took me, well, I, just because I didn't live here, it wasn't easy for me to just come and play the American Pro Tour. So I kind of started going through Asia and Europe first. So when I got to the US, I got to the Pro Tour, I was 27 years old already. Um, and like I said, that's relatively late, but I was still one of the younger guys on tour at 27. I'm now into my 13th year on tour and I am well and truly the old person on tour. <laughs> uh, and most of the guys now are in their early 20s to mid to late 20s. Couple of guys have just kind of clicked over 30 and they are also feeling like they're the old kids on, on tour. So that's the biggest difference. And what I see from that is that trickle down effect through the community of bowling is we have been for a very long time, um, yeah, kind of an older generational sport where, you know, you might've even heard your grandparents used to go bowling. Or it, it, it definitely felt older and now it feels younger way younger, a lot more teenagers, a lot more um, kids are playing and a lot more in that demographic between 20 and 30 are either taking it up or they're taking it a little bit more seriously, which is, it's awesome because no sport, no, nothing in this world can last forever without a generation behind it wanting to carry it forward after them. So I've always spent a lot of my time pushing and promoting towards the younger generations because yeah, without them, bowling and disc golf and any other sport for that matter will just fade away because no one's interested in it anymore. So you've got to keep that spark alive from a young age. What have what do you think that you know? I've seen videos. Obviously, I'm sure people have seen the Dude Perfect videos and and other social media videos that you have put out there, and I'm sure that has definitely helped younger player younger players get into bowling. But what else do you think has helped that younger generation like you sp just spoke of? What, what has helped get those into taking bowling more seriously over the last you know, 10 years or wherever it may have been? Um, there has been a, a bit of an evolution in the technique of bowling. So if you haven't um, seen me bowl specifically, I was kind of one of the, if not the father of the two-handed bowling technique and um, cut a really long story short. It was just when I first started bowling, I was 18 months old. The ball was too heavy for me to use this traditional one arm swing. So I developed my own way to do it and I got really good at it. And I just, you know, I never had a coach, still don't have a coach. I do everything myself and I've just kind of allowed my own expression and my own who I am, um, come into my bowling and my style that now has grown that technique. When mm. I first started traveling, I was the only one. There was no one else doing it. Now the estimation is about 30% of the bowlers around the world have either adopted the two-handed technique, um, started bowling because of this technique. It's fun. It allows you to spin the ball more. It allows you to hook the ball more. And so, I think that's been a, a large contributing factor into the growth into the younger demographic and also its popularity just because it's 
it's cool. It's cool to see your ball hook and it's fun to see the pins fly around and generate so much more power in your bowling ball. And so the style definitely helps you do that. It probably also helps too after not be your hand be so sore, you know, cause you don't, you don't put the thumb in, right? You do just the two fingers, just the two fingers. Yeah. And, and like all sports, you do something the wrong way or you don't warm up or longevity. If you have enough wear and tear in your body, you, you're going to eventually break down. But for me as an individual, like I see all of my competitors for the last 20 something years of my, of my competitive career, I, I wake up, there's not a pain anywhere. You know, I don't have any soreness. I can bowl forever. And then I see a lot of my traditional players, they go, you know, they have surgery on their elbows, their wrists, uh, their shoulders. They have back surgeries. And um, I'm fortunate to say that it doesn't happen to me and hasn't happened to me. But because my style is relatively new, I don't know if we're going to see that effect yet so no one really knows if bowling the way that i do is going to cause the same types of injuries i guess i'm kind of the first one they're all waiting to see they look they're looking at me wondering when is he going to break down so we can we can start to document it but I, i'm lucky to say i've been very fortunate injury wise nice all right i want to talk a little bit about the money side now because one thing that we have seen in disc golf over the last few years is a a massive growth on the purse. However, a lot of that has to do with just having more people playing in fields because we, the majority of our purses are from entry fees. <coughs> um, and so I just went and looked at the top five earners from 2022 to last or this year, I guess. And it looks like there was, and again, you can correct me here, on whether this is just because people this year won more than last year. But you had fifth place uh, last year take home 201,000. Fourth place took 213. Third, 222. These are thousands of dollars, by the way. Second, 274,000. And you were at the top of the list last year with 302,000 for tour winnings. Fast forward to this year. Fifth place was a little bit less at 145. Fourth place was a little bit less at 175. But then there's a massive jump. You're at third at 338. Someone's at second at 347. And EJ Tackett is at first at 458,000. That's a massive jump, no? Oh, I lost you there for a second. Oh, sorry. Do, did you hear any of that? Do I need to repeat I, that? No, I got I got all the way up until you said that there was a massive jump with the EJ Tackett at four hundred fifty thousand. Oh, sorry. I can uh, I can, re- we can we can cut this all out. I'm I'm dying anyways right now. Really? Do you have a question can, real quick? I can yeah. that. <laughs> I definitely have a question. I'm, the, the, one of the I'm things to when I talk floor. to other, you know, athletes, especially at the high high level, is. I guess my the thing that I'm most fascinated with is is like crunch time, you know, like the Tom Brady's and the and the, you know in our sport like the Paul McBeth and the Ricky Wysockies. It seems like down the stretch they're able to get that heart rate down and and just be clutch. What is it like 
when you're coming down the stretch and you have one ball, let's say for the win, and you know you have to get a certain amount of pins, maybe it's a strike, maybe it's just nine pins, whatever. That situation, the crowd's there. Is there a massive difference between, there usually is, but what, would you consider yourself like pretty cold as far as in your career, you've been able to kind of quiet the mind and, and really perform well under pressure. And is that a thing in bowling? It seems like it is everywhere, but I don't know, kind of, kind of deep dive into, into the mental side for a second. Like going into a tournament, do you just know, okay, I hope I just get to the last bowl because I know I'm going, I'm going to win type thing. Yeah. Well, my mentality is as soon as I walk into the building, I believe I'm going to win. This week, I'm winning. That's it. Everyone else is here for second. As the week unfolds, depending on how that that form is happening, um, you know, sometimes it's not as easy as I, I think in my head as it's, as it's going to be. But there are probably two things about my personality that has really helped my career. The first is, I just cannot quit. I cannot quit. And the self-belief without quitting, like no matter where I am in the tournament, um, for example, this season, I was nearly dead last after the first round of a major championship. And by all stretches of the imagination, I was probably not going to make the cut, but I thought I was still going to win the tournament. And, and I did. I found a way to bowl some ridiculously high scores to make it to the next round. Then I found another way to catch even more pins and bowl some ridiculous numbers and then um, made it all the way to the television final and, and bowled some pretty clutch strikes to win the championship. And so that's the first part. The second part, uh, which I think is kind of, I would say when I say it's new, it's a new part of me. Um, I would say the last, five years it's kind of I've learned learned this about myself I used to be really fearful of failing in the moment like I wanted the moment to happen I wanted that clutch delivery but I was so worried about what if you don't make this and that fear was so mis misunderstood and so misrepresented because I wasn't like I loved being there I wanted to be there so I couldn't understand why the missing of the shot I allowed to overtake all of the other things that I loved about being in that motion in that, in that moment. And so I had a conversation with myself where I'm like, I looked around the crowd, one particular tournament and that, like everyone there would have given their right arms and left legs to swap places with me. Like, let me be the guy who gets to throw the ball on TV. Like I want to be that guy. And so this moment of gratefulness and just like, I'm so freaking lucky. Like, this is what I do for a living and I'm really good at it. Like, yes, I need a strike here to win. And if I don't strike, I'm going to lose. But what a, what a beautiful moment to be involved in. And so as soon as I flipped it on its head where instead of it been a, a fearful moment of missing, it was this moment of gratitude and just pure pleasure to have this responsibility and this op this opportunity to do this and all of a sudden the fear of missing just pff, faded away like miss 
maybe it didn't like if I did, it didn't hit me the same way. I was disappointed, but it wasn't because I was scared of the shot. It was for another reason. And my my shot making and clutch moment striking percentages went through the roof after that. Like once I just flipped it on its head and said, this is not a scary moment. This is a moment that everyone else in the world will trade you for right now. So why don't you just enjoy it? Why don't you be grateful for it and, and make it a pleasurable moment rather than a scared one? And now I feel like you give me that ball and I need a strike to win. Just take your shoes off, mate. It's done. Like I'm getting this strike. And that's how confident I feel because of the joy that I have in that moment. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, pure me in that moment man that's beautiful thank you now to answer your question brody if you're still alive um you haven't died there um i'm alive go for it okay yeah so the prize money can sometimes be um it can be a little misleading sometimes because we bowl based off of performances Right. So let's let's take the NBA or the or the baseball um, money that they make as a a, put it into a graph like we see their salaries go from X to X plus tens of millions of dollars over the span of 10, 20 years. Okay, for those types of games, it's really easy to say, oh, there's more money in it now because you're getting paid a salary in our sport and in your sport we are paid off performances. We win a championship, we get paid. We don't win a championship, we don't get paid. Or, you know, if we don't make the cut, we don't get paid. So when you're looking at year to year based on how the salaries are going or the the earnings, it can be tricky because the three guys that you mentioned that were head and shoulders this year, we just bowled consistently better than everyone else. And EJ bowled better than everyone else and so it wasn't that there's tens of millions of dollars more money in our game ej just took a bigger percentage based off his performances anthony and i took bigger percentages of that purse over the course of a season than everyone else but the total prize pool which i think sits around three million dollars for the season split over you know a wide range of tournaments that hasn't varied too much but what we're hoping to see uh is a large spike in that in that price purse to go from three million to say five million and then to constantly keep that trajectory going and so then you'll start to see well what place how much money did 10th make right from 2022 to say 2026 and if that number is considerably different 10th position then we're onto something Okay, so you guys have kind of flatlined at that $3 million for the tour purse for several years now? Yeah, and we're trying to see – well, we see, like, you know, some variations, but then also there are other costs involved that go up. And so we're really just kind of keeping up with the inflation of the world. We're not seeing us kind of jump beyond that. You know, for whatever the players are making, let's say we make, just an example, someone makes $25,000 more this year. Well, their expenses were probably $15,000 more than previous years because of flight costs and hotel costs have gone up and petrol and everything else. And so, yeah, we made more, but we had to spend more. So we're not seeing that large jump as we would 
see it on paper. Um, but we're trying to change that. And I think slowly but surely our partners and sponsors are definitely getting more involved. And Fox Sports is where you'll you'll see the PBA. I think our partnership with them is growing as well. And so we're hoping we're hoping to see growth. And that's who you guys have your TV deal with. We do. We have one with Fox and we have um, a very small agreement with CBS Sports for a kind of um, – it is a part of the PBA tour season. It's just kind of an offshoot to it. It's, um, it's not a full-fledged 120-people competitor event. It's the top eight from a series of qualifying events are then invited into this specialized tournament that CBS hosts. But, yeah, every other event is either on Big Fox or Fox Sports 1. Okay, nice. Uh, Yuli, it just told me to have you refresh your browser for some reason. It says it's not recording you anymore. So um, you, while you're doing that, I'll, ask, I'll fire away a couple more questions here. Um, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here, Jason. I know you got a flight to catch. So, Appreciate you. Um, uh, okay. Do you guys have a world championship? Is there one tournament that everyone's like, this is the tournament every year? We have five. We've got five major championships. Those are our our big ones. Those are the ones that you want to okay. win. Uh, so we have the Players' Championship, the Tournament of Champions, the U.S. Open, the Masters, and the World Championship. Yeah, that's something that I feel like in disc golf right now, I've had this discussion on the podcast a lot, is we have a World Championship. It is a major, so all the ones that you just listed, it's in that same category, but it's called the World Championship. And it is every player would rather win that tournament than any other tournament, and every fan is going to put way more onus on that tournament than any other tournament. And I I think that's a problem of where you have this tournament that's like it, there's not really a very there's not really anything that sets it apart other than it's one more day than all the other majors. And I feel like that's an issue. What, what are your thoughts on like if bowling all of a sudden changed whatever, you know, what, take one of those five majors that you just listed and said, you know what, next year we're going to have five majors, but one of them is going to be called the world championship. Well, we have a world without, championship. Without we, we, do, we do have a oh. world championship, major championship. But here is, what, here is what I can hear from you and what I think separates from us as well is our major championships – comparatively to a regular tour title is very different. So a major championship will be six hours of bowling every single day for five days straight. And then a, a total of anywhere between 48 and 60 games will be played. And then the television final at the very end for the final five. And so that is a mentally and physically draining experience to just compete and make it that far into a major championship. That's what separates it. That's why we want to win those ones because they have more meaning, not just because the prize purses are bigger, which definitely is a nice bonus. But when I hold up a major championship at the end of that week, dude, I'm exhausted. I am as completely knackered as you could possibly be just more mentally than anything else, because it has been, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, the, the mental grind of all these oil patterns constantly changing, the clutch moments that you need to be super physical and sharp at. Um, and that's happening for six hours a day, five days a week. 
uh, and then again on, on Sunday for the final. It's that's what makes them so valuable to us. Um, it sounds to me like you could probably kind of do the same. Like golf has it. I mean, tennis has their major championships, and what separates them is you know they go to five sets instead of three sets, and there's you know different. Uh, surfaces like you know clay for the french and mm-hmm. and wimbledon has grass which makes them a little bit more it's also unique. harder to qualify though too for like these golf like the the fields are different right where like our world cha- the world championship like pretty much anyone can sign up for so i think that kind of people that don't play on tour ever are just playing in the world championship as well um but well, this goes all the it. way back, though. This goes all the way back to when you were commenting about the level of difficulty of the of the courses. And I, I was going to make this point, and I never really got an opportunity to say it, but I'll, I'll say it now. When you're playing for prize purses that are uh, independently funded by the players, so your entry fees are going into that, if you start mm. designing courses, right, that are to slow down, the very best disc golfers in the world, then you're making it harder for everyone else as well. So yes, it's harder for them, but it's also much harder for everyone else. That's what we also see. When we create an oil pattern that is brutal for the 50th to 100th place player, they they are almost eliminated from that tournament win. Like they know mm. I'm just not there. I cannot keep up on this oil pattern. So what they ask for is the opposite. Be a little bit easier. Yeah, the top guys are <laughs> going to be accurate and they're going to be fine. But when I miss a little bit, the, the easier oil pattern now gives me a chance to keep up with their scores. Now, this is where you and I are going to disagree with the majority because the majority aren't the best. They're not in that top mm. 20 echelon of players. They're in the bottom hundreds. And they want to be at the top, but they're not good enough. So you either spend years dedicating your life, getting better, or you just make it easier. (laughs) That's the quick way. So we (laughs) fight that in bowling too. I try to explain to people just making it easier is, is one way to, to appease the masses. Everyone, they may not win, but they walk away feeling like I did better than, than if it was a really difficult off and they walk away feeling I did okay, but on a really difficult course or a really difficult oil pattern and they walk away plus, you know, in your case, plus 15 or plus 20 or in my game, minus 200, that's Mm -hmm. defeating. You might not get their entry feedback. You might not get them next time. And now they don't add to the price purse. So now your prizes are failing. So as soon as you steer away from entry fee price purses, then you can start to create the tour of your dreams. Once you get sponsors that are saying, we'll cover the prize money, we'll cover that. We don't rely on 400 of you guys to put your entry fees in for this. Then you can start to build a tour of the very best in the world where you are making these courses incredibly difficult with strategies and lane conditions that are brutal because you're not trying to keep everyone happy that, isn't good enough it's a really slippery slope it's a it's a bad balancing act you know tennis and golf and and basketball all these big sports that have millions and millions of dollars they can design their their tours to suit a minimal amount of players because they don't need 
10,000 entries, right? They don't need 500 entries to make this tournament a good tournament. They just need their 128 exempt players. Yeah, they're top, they're top guys. That's right. Um, yeah, one, one, thing, uh, one thing I think we struggle, and this, the analogy would be you, you guys showing up to a bowling tournament. Uh, you know, let's, say it's a, let's say it's a major, and you're showing up, and the, the oil pattern is an easy oil pattern, and it's the same one, same one every single time you play. So it's not changing. Then, then that does become who can just execute, right? There's not really any sort of strategy involved. And to me, when you have the word golf in your sports name, course management, trying to figure out how to beat a course and having them having there be multiple ways to play a hole and trying to figure out what's the best way for you. Maybe the wind's different one day, so you have to play it differently. Having that, I think add so much intrigue of where if I, if I did really like dig into bowling and start realizing, Oh my gosh, like today the oil patterns, this he's going to have to do something different. Similar to golf. They change the pins around. Right. So mm -hmm. like some days a hole might be like, they're all attacking this hole. Another pin location on that same hole the next day. Now all of a sudden you're seeing people play super defensive. And like, to me, that's very interesting not to see the same thing. And I think that is something that we struggle with with some of the courses we play of where it's very straightforward and we have four people play the hole uh, at the same time. And a lot of times you just see the same shot over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I guess the trickiest part for you as well and why our environment is easier to deal with this is we, we can just, okay. My home bowling center, I can put down a infinite, amount of oil patterns. So my environment in my own center can change day to day, hour to hour, if I want to reorder the lane. Your courses, to manipulate those courses, you either have to wait for the wind yeah. to come or you have to start uh, building man-made stuff. But if you're trying to redesign a course and then allow nature to build the difficulty into it, you're going to wait 10 years for some of these trees to grow big enough to get in the way to make it a difficult course. So that's why I suggested, and, and I guess to some degree, right, the inflatable makes sense is they're quick, you put them up, it changes the strategy really quickly, and it allows the players to look at a course that they've known for years, have a very specific way to play it. You're now throwing that out the window and it's telling them you're going to have to be a bit more creative or you're going to have to, in this particular course, we're going to make you an excellent uh, and I, I could help me with my language here, but do you still call it like a, a putt? Like what is your soft close yeah, range? Yeah. 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 Putt. Yep. So you, you might say we are going to really emphasize on making these guys putt really well because they're not going to get there into as much as they used to before. Cause we're putting up these man-made objects that are going to prevent them from the tap-ins or whatever. It's going to be, a 18 footer longer putts yeah yeah 18 footer let's see who can putt really well on this course and then another course you might design it where it's like we're going to lengthen it not because the hole is going to lengthen but the path we're going to force you to make is going to be longer and so now you might not be able to use a big you know drawing shot you might have to be like i'm going to hit this uh, i'm going to throw this a little shorter because my next shot needs to be the long drawing one and again you you can it's just harder for you because you've got to build it and then you've got to take it it's down. It's a lot more expensive, you, It's I a lot think. more expensive. Yeah. But 
Yeah, if things become too easy, it becomes boring. All of us feel that. Like if I, if I play a game on my phone and I beat it, and every time I play it now, I beat it every time, like I delete the game. Like where's the challenge? I'm not interested in playing anymore. Yes, mm -hmm. the first times you play it, you might enjoy the fact that you're good at it and that you can beat it, but it doesn't take very long and for that feeling to fade away. And I think that's what happens with bowling too and why we, we are always pushing our younger players in particular. Challenge yourself on more difficult oil patterns because then the game is renewed. It's not the yeah. same feeling anymore. You're, you're having to adjust more often. You are creating new shot shapes because your regular shot shape doesn't work on this oil pattern. And that's exciting. It gives people a purpose to practice. It gives people a purpose to study the game, download content, watch YouTube um, podcasts like yourselves to, to maybe learn a thing or two. Like it just, that's the trickle down effect that sometimes people forget is it's not just lowering the scores. Everyone's happy. Sometimes making it a little harder, everyone can prosper. Coaches prosper. Uh, people who make the disc golfs might prosper because now they're starting to learn, oh, I need more variations to my to my discs, like I need one that has a specific loft on it or whatever, you know, again, I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Wait. Those are, those are, those are some good points uh, for sure. And definitely things that we are in a weird spot right now where, where you feel like some people are like, I, I don't want to see change. And then you have others on the other side that are very loud and out. I mean, both sides are outspoken and they're, you know, they're kind of going in opposite directions. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where disc golf ends up going. Yeah. Uh, Yuli, do you, uh, do you, I think, do you have time for one more question? Yuli, you got anything for him? I've got yeah, one I, final question. I was question curious because I, I don't know if you answered this when we were talking about the major championships and you said you have a world championship or, and you have five major championships. Is there one of those tournaments that you would rather win instead like uh, in traditional golf people want to win the masters or they want to win the open championship in our sport we want to win the world championships mm -hmm. above all even the majors even though we have four majors world championship is head and shoulders above everything is there is there one of those in bowling okay i'm gonna answer this very honestly and uh you're you're not allowed to to make fun of me um so i have 15 majors I have all of the major championships. And so the reason why the one that I want to win again is the US Open. And the reason why is because it's the only one I don't have three of. So, so, Makes sense. So, Makes sense. I, listen, I know how that sounds, okay? But it is the truth. So when you're asking me, which one do I want to win? I want to win it for that selfish reason. I want to own all the major championships three times over. And that's, that's never been, in fact, it's never been done twice over. There's myself and another gentleman that owns all five majors. We're the only ones to own them all. Um, I'm one US Open away from owning them all twice. And then I'm two more US Opens away from owning them all three times over. So I, I'm wow. very focused that's on the US Open at the moment. So would you say that all your major championships, just from every, let's say, all professional players, the majors are equally as important? Like if you win a U.S. Open and let's say you win whatever the other one is, a major's a major in bowling. Like yeah, they're all I'm, just a top pinnacle. Yeah, look, I mean, you may have personal preference for, for some 
nostalgic or some sure. sentimental okay. reason that that I don't know maybe you grew up and your favorite player won a specific major and you wanted to win it too I mean I think most players would argue that if you owned the US Open and that would be your only major you'd be very happy with the US Open I mean you'd be happy with any of them but you'd be very grateful to to get our US Open it's typically our most hardest event to win um but in saying that all of the majors are brutally difficult to win it. So it's not sure. like oh the US Open is the only hard one and the other ones are on easier path. Everything is difficult. It's just that one yeah. seems to be that, you know, maybe 5% harder. And I I'll, I'll say this, like when I was looking up your stats and stuff, it says 15 major championships, right? Where in disc golf if someone won let's say 15 major championships but won 5 world titles, world championships, it would say 15 major championships, five-time world champion. Actually, it would probably say five-time world champion first and then 15 major championships. So it's like a separator, even though it's under the same class, Yeah. which I've always thought that was a weird thing. But um, all right, final, final thing. Final thing, and we'll let you go because I don't want you to miss your flight. I'm fascinated with this question. How the heck do you travel with the balls? Yeah. <laughs> It's not easy. Um, so aren't they like 10 pounds each roughly, right? 15 to, pounds. 15 pounds each. 15? Yeah, 15 pounds You can pounds only put each. like two of those in a suitcase. Yeah. So this is where the further up the bowling tree you go in terms of your your skill level, the, the more resource and benefits that you have. So I, I'm very fortunate that my sponsor, Storm, will – give me whatever I want, whenever I want, as much of it as I want. And so if I'm traveling from Australia to anywhere, I'll call my sponsor, I'll tell them where I'm going, and there will be fresh bowling balls for as far as the eye can see that I need. Perfect. Wow. From stop to stop, right, when I'm on the pro tour, the PVA does have a dedicated truck to help travel with a lot of the bowling balls. So we can put our bowling. So on any given week, I will use anywhere between six to 12 bowling balls on any given week. And that's if it's a, a, a very testing week, if you're making a lot of adjustments. There might be some weeks that you've just got a great feel. One or two balls is all you need. You just change your hand position a little bit and you're good to go. But a lot of times you're going through your bag. You're going through your bag. And they're also there as like a what if. Like what if I need something like this? I got to have it with me just we, in case. We are, the same, we are the same way where we'll, we'll have 30 plus discs in our bag and we might not ever throw one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be multiple, right, Yuli? There might be tournaments where you have like five discs that you'd never touch in the inter- oh, t- yeah. tournament, yeah. but you're just like, just in case just I have that one I shot, need yeah. I need, I need it. Yeah. Right okay. There. So that's, there's a similarity there. Okay. So when you're traveling and you don't have those luxuries, it becomes very difficult. I see a lot of guys drive. A lot of guys will just drive from wow. stop to stop and bring their big trucks and put all their equipment in the back. Some guys like to drive anyway. So you'll see players often, you know, they'll help other players out. Say, hey, I'm driving to the next stop. It might be a 10-hour drive, 12-hour drive, 5-hour, whatever it is. And, you know, some of the guys will just say, oh, I can take a few bags for you. And there's enough of those guys that if you're really struggling with travel, they, we're a very close-knit community as well. Like, it's not 
we, we're there to help you. We, we understand the grind. We, we all are away from our families. We know how hard it is um, to be on the road for four or five months straight. And so when someone's having not a great season or someone's needing help, like we're there to put our hands up and say, like, let, let me figure this out for you. Now, when we lace the shoes up and we're on the lanes, I could murder them all. <laughs> Couldn't care about them yeah. one little bit. But once we come off the lanes, you know, it's, it's very different. So there's that, the PBA truck, and if you're sponsored, make it a little easier. Air travel is impossible. Yeah, if you, if you don't have sponsors to help you out or you don't ship the bowling balls, which is also expensive to just ship them, um, yeah. you're carrying your suitcase on the plane with you and you're packing your bowling balls and you're only packing a handful <laughs> of them, which again, as you know, if you don't have the right disc in your hand for a certain shot, wind type, length, you're just not going to win. You just, you can't keep up if you don't have the equipment. So it can be very difficult for those starting out. Jason, if you Crazy. were to just show up local bowling alley, grab a ball, a little 14, 15 pounder off of the rack, are you shooting at 300? Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. If I, if I was to use like some random house ball and just kind of show up, uh, I, Look, I think I could bowl if I bowled really well. Like, I think I could pop a big game. I don't know if it would be 300, but I might, I could pop a pretty big one. But I would say out yeah. of 100 attempts, there would be 75 of them would be over 200. Um, there'd be a percentage under 200, which is our pass score. And then there'd be a handful that yeah, I was able to pop a real big one. Maybe one out of 100, I'd get all 12 and shoot 300. That would probably be the, the <laughs> one so percenter. Sick. That would be the one percenter. I might just do, right, we got I it. might just do that just and record it. Just see. Let's just see what I would do. Well, before you do it, yeah, let's do I it together because I think this yeah. is a video idea. Me and Yuli versus you. We get our combined score versus you. We'll see if we can take you down. I will say I did my first time bowling in a while. I popped off like I was very impressed. I got like 160 something. One, uh, 150, 160, which is really high. And then I barely broke 100 the uh, other time. Well, you so, Yuli, remember, I don't know how good you the are. The highest score I can get is 300. So, if you bowl 150 and 151, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know. can't beat you, which is – Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love it. I, I love our chances. I think it's great because I'm, I'm an awful bowler. When I was a little kid, we bowled Oh, well, a lot, there you go. And uh, <laughs> I, was a, I was pretty good when I was like 14, you know. We we did like a, a no tap league with my church and we ah uh, you've been in like leagues my... before I'm getting hustled here all right <laughs> oh and even worse I gotta get my I gotta no get my balls shipped to me with your church so you've got Jesus on your side as well like, <laughs> oh, come on man I got no chance <laughs> just wait until I bull, uh, I pull out the slide down the dragon's mouth it's a strike every time just put a little top spin on it let it go down yeah right oh, I'm man. putting up the bumpers baby. Uh, um, all right, all right bef- I, got, before, I gotta go. I gotta yeah. go. Quick, quick shout out your sponsors and everything. If if people are new to bowling, what 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 shoes should they buy? What ball should they buy? Real quick shout out, and then peace out. Yeah, listen. Any bowling ball that has a storm logo on it, they're the best. I mean, I have my choice of the the litter, and um, and I, I would always and only ever throw storm. They, they just make such great equipment 3g for the shoes it's a brand 3g fantastic quality love them um do if you just want to know anything about me go to my website jasonbelmonte.com or i'm on all the usual suspect uh socials usually you'll find me at j belmo 
Um, or just we'll have Google all those links in the description down below too for you guys uh, to follow. Or if you want to follow um, me so, on tour, hey, you can look at my YouTube channel. I, I do a, a vlog series where I bowl the major championships and you can kind of see all the behind the scenes and what it looks like week to week and day to day oh, on the major championships. Awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, before you close out, just make sure it says 100%, and then that way we'll have all the footage on our end. But I know everyone listening, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jason, uh, and good luck next season. You got yeah, it. Nice no worries. See you, guys.